We've been seeing a lot of really creepy stuff with schools, what they're teaching kids, this critical race applied principles. There was a story we covered the other day where you get these little kids and they're showing these questionnaires they're asked. And this is whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's getting to the kids. It's affecting their, their ability to strive to succeed. It's telling them that they can't succeed on the basis of their race and things like this. This wave of what the left has referred to or the establishment has called social justice, in my opinion, is mostly about gaining power, political power, corporate power, otherwise. And there's one uh, story that uh, happened several years ago, and it's about the CEO of a very large and prominent company being essentially falsely accused, or I should say they, the media spun a narrative that this CEO was a racist for describing a slur, in fact, saying it was a bad thing to say, but it doesn't matter. And it wasn't just uh, uh, Papa John Schnatter, who's, uh, I pronounced it right, right? Schnatter? Schnatter. Schnatter, who's here with us today. There was also another story that I brought up in this old video about Netflix, where a guy was actually doing a training where he was like, here are the words to avoid. And by simply saying the word in a descriptive way to tell people it was bad, ended up losing his job. Now, that one was crazy because the guy ends up going to HR where they're like, what happened? And he said, I was explaining to people that, you know, these words were bad enough to say them. And they're like, what words? And he says it again. And then they're shocked. Oh, he said it to us again. He was you asked him what he said and he was saying it was wrong. Cancel culture is real. And it's been it's been going on for some time and it's evolving. And this is why I brought up what's happening with kids with critical race applied principle, because this is the extension, the evolution or another component of what we saw with cancel culture. Now, we see a lot of people in media saying cancel culture is not real. It doesn't exist because all these rich and famous people, they're still rich and famous. But here's a story of a guy who did nothing wrong, who was ousted from his own company, started taking his name down from buildings. Now, that's insane. And in my opinion, it's an effort for, for, for some group to gain power. In this instance, it sounds like corporate and political interests realized they could manipulate public perception and opinion because everyone thinks obviously racism is bad. So they can twist things use a morsel of truth and, and, and build it up into a conspiracy theory or some false accusation that you, you can't really falsify. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk a, a bit about just what's going on with the labor market, what's going on with our kids. And we are joined by the CEO. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The former <laughs> CEO of uh, uh, Papa John's, John Schnatter. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yep. Uh, John Schnatter. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Tim, for having me. Proud to be here. And I think you told me to lead it off with better ingredients, better pizza. Papa John's. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, you know, I got to be honest. Um, I did this video. You, 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 were, you were talking about how I did this video in 2018 and you were like, it was spot on and everything. I vowed never to buy Papa John's again because of what they did to you because it was, I, I read the news and I'm like, this is clearly BS. Here's a guy who's on a phone call saying like, hey, here's a bad word people shouldn't say. And they're like, we're going to fire him and destroy his life now because of it. And I used to think that the, the better ingredients, better pizza thing was just marketing. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd see, I'd see on the TV and I'd be like, yeah, 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 better ingredients. What does that mean? Well, uh, no, I actually, we actually were, we order pizza all the time. And when we do, we order Papa John's because we look, I looked up the ingredients. I'm not going to name the other pizza places, uh, call them out specifically because, you know, lawsuits or whatever. But these other big chains, they put weird stuff in their pizza. They put, one company puts Splenda in their crust. And that to me was just, just weird. The, so the potassium bromate is really what, what is concerning. That? It's like a leavening agent. Can you explain it a little better? Do well, you know much about any, anything that's processed food is uh, the FDA approves, which unfortunately usually is chemical based. I mean, you can get a can of soup from Campbell's and it's got 20 or 30 chemicals in it. And so the thing we tried to do, uh, throughout the history of Papa John's was get rid of the chemicals, nitrates, um, 
um, there were cellulose in the cheese, um, anything of uh, some of the preservatives, um, anything to keep it more natural, more uh, original. We thought uh, we thought the more natural, uh, the more authentic, uh, the better it would be for um, you know for the kids. Um, and we just weren't convinced those chemicals in the food processing process were not uh, were not unhealthy. So we eliminated as many of those as that we could. And hopefully to this day, they're still doing that. Hopefully to this day. But we'll get into all that stuff. So, you know, Ian's Dude, chilling. I'm so glad you're here, John. This is <laughs> Papa John's. The, the recipe, it was the ingredients, but it changed my life in the 90s. It was like revolutionary for, for pizza. <laughs> Do you guys remember 1994, 95? I mean, what year did you guys really hit? We went public June of 93 with 232 stores. Wow. And literally, I couldn't take the family on vacation for five or 10 grand, didn't have the money. And the next day we went public and the company was worth 150 million bucks in one day. So it was like, I was 31 years old. It was like, we just wow. made a, we just made a hundred million bucks. Like, wow, it was pretty wild. We, um, we, I, I want to talk about that too. Obviously we'll talk about the more political stuff, but just hearing the story of the success, how to build a company. I'm sure a lot of people want to know, you know, tips for success, right? We can well, talk about, you know, good strategy can overcome mediocre tactics. Um, but bad strategy can't overcome great tactics. So, from the get-go, we were always authentic and about quality, uh, but we didn't really have a tagline. So we uh, read the book um, Positioning by Jack Trout and Al Reeves, 1969 of all, and uh, read the book uh, and talked about how you differentiate your product <coughs> with your slogan. It's got to be truthful, you know, Volvo safety, um, FedEx is overnight, et cetera. So we hired Jack Trout to come in. He was 10000 bucks a day. Wow. And uh, he comes in. This is like 95, 96. And he's over there. He looks at our fresh pack sauce from um, the Quarter Posse family out at Stanislaus. He looks at the way we're making our fresh dough, the attention to water, put a little more on real cheese. He's going, well, heck, use better ingredients. I said, well, of course. He goes, well, better ingredients make a better pizza. And I go, <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, that's your slogan. There, it was so born. I spent $10,000 and it <laughs> took him about 20 seconds. There you go. So that was pretty, that was let's, pretty cool. Let's, let's have to get into that stuff, uh, get into that stuff too. We got uh, Lydia pressing the buttons. I am pressing buttons in the corner. I'm very excited to meet Papa John because mm-hmm. I learned to drive on a Camaro and his story about recovering his lost Camaro is like a hero story to me. So I'm, I, yeah. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying talking to him. Were you 76 or 77? It, it was a 77 in my 77. case. Yeah. Beautiful. So much fun. Fantastic. All right. Everybody, before we get started, head over to timcast.com, become a member to get an ad free experience and exclusive access to the TimCast members-only podcast. You're also helping support our journalists, of which we are hiring more and more people. We had two more people start just the other day. We're going to be producing a lot more shows. So as a member, not only do you get access to this stuff, but we're going to be adding more and more content to it as we build culture instead of just complaining about the culture war. So again, go to TimCast.com, but don't forget to like this video, share this show with your friends, subscribe, hit the notification bell, assuming all that matters. And let's just, uh, we're just going to jump in and have this conversation. I want to hear the, uh, the story. Tell us what happened. So, um, real quick, real quick, just the general context is I think it was 2018. The story breaks that you, the, you know, at the time, the CEO, of Papa John's was on a phone call and they said in this, I think it was a Forbes article, right? It was Forbes article came out claiming that you used a racial slur or something. And then all of a sudden, this was like a cascade of them kicking you out of your company. They were trying to claim that you were a racist and all these really awful things. And then the media just began to twist everything out of proportion and lie about what was happening. Now, I guess the crazy thing is, it sounds like the way you described it, like a conspiracy against you. Well, you, you got to kind of go back a little bit in time. As it was a, a training call, um, and we were talking about race, which is very sensitive. And we were the do's and don'ts. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, they they taped the conversation. And throughout the call, they 
they tried to bait me when I was looking at well, your. So who, who is oh who, the bait the laundry service the ad agency was trying to to get me riled up and to say something that, that was going to hurt myself, but I didn't know that at the time that that was a it was a setup. So um, they kept that one little clip, and fortunately for me, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world because they accidentally left the tape running. So as soon as they hung up with me. They kept talking about, hey, we got him. We're going to send him out. Really? Oh, yeah. We got oh, the tape. Wow. We got him on tape. I got a tape. So we have the truth. And so it was a complete setup. Um, they sat on it for about five weeks. And they said, if you don't give us $6 million, washerman and laundry service, we're going to bury the founder. And I went to the CEO and to the board. And I said, hey, they're trying to extort $6 million. Um, if we don't give them $6 million, they said they're going to bury the founder. That's extortion. We should call the FBI. And so... That it blew up, and the company just let it happen. That's what makes me think the company was uh, co-conspired in this because the company didn't do an investigation. Uh, they didn't set up a special committee to investigate. And if they would have, they would have seen there was a tape. The truth was, I didn't say something that was racist. What I said was anti-racist. They changed the narrative. Well, we we got to issue a quick clarification because of the likes of people like Ibram X. Kendi, anti-racist actually means racist. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I mean, it sounds funny, right? But, uh, uh, Kendi is the, the, I guess he's the, the progenitor of anti-racism, which is a, an ideology that states in his, I, I gotta be very careful how I say this for obvious reasons. I mean, look, we're talking about Kendi says that he wants racial discrimination. So anti-racism, according to him, is more racial discrimination. So that's why, you know, they, 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 they take these phrases and try to control them. And that's part of how they, you know, they play this game. So to, to put it simply, you're, you're, you're the CEO of this company. You're doing a regular training phone call. It was like a sensitivity training or something, right? Exactly. Telling people not to be racist, to be, to be excellent to each other. And the, the statement you made was that you, you said something about, I think it was Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Was, it, was it Sanders? Colonel Sanders was habitual about using the M-word in a derogatory manner. And in, in my mind, that was a no-go. That's ab- absolutely something a founder doesn't do. So we were using him uh, metaphorically as an example of what not to do. And because you were like, hey, this is a bad thing. Don't be like him. They were like, we got him. Yes. They recorded you. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't I didn't know that about the uh, the recording where they admitted or they, they were like, yeah, we got him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I heard they recorded the conversation, I went, good. Because what I said was anti-racist. I knew what I said. They asked me to apologize the next week, and I said, I'll apologize for the misunderstanding. I'll apologize for what happened. But if I apologize for saying something that's anti-racist, then that's racist. And I wasn't going to apologize. Yeah, I got to point out, I said this before the show, talking about a racial slur and the history of the word and its mechanics and how people feel about it is different than calling someone that word. Completely different. In fact, you can call someone a very nice word in a horribly mean way, and be more offensive than talking about a slur. Oh, yeah. Like if you were talking to a woman and you're like, oh, you're so beautiful, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You look great today. <laughs> right. Right. The way you say it. But here's here, I got to add to that, Ian. It wasn't it's not just describing the word. John was actually saying it was a bad thing. Yeah. It was it it's was like actually saying don't be racist. Yeah. But I think in life, you've got to own your own. You got to take the hit. And, you know, we're not going to BS your your audience. There's three things we, we can all agree on. One is they set me up. No doubt about it. It was a setup. Um, two is they reverse what I said. I didn't, I didn't use the word draw. I, I quoted, cited, paraphrased what somebody else says that I would never say. And three, I shouldn't have said the word. You know, should not have said the word. Yeah, that's how they got you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really challenging that we're in a space now where, well, let me, let me just go back in time. George Carlin. <laughs> Everybody loved George Carlin. He was a hero on the left. 
And he has a bit where he goes on stage and says as many racial slurs as he can, and then actually calls two very prominent black comedians the N-word. And I, even I, like by today's standards, I'm like, wow, like that's brutal, man. I, I'm, I'm not sure I feel about that. But George Carlin was making a point that just saying the word isn't what's, what's so bad about it. What's bad is it's the person behind the word and the things they're doing with it. Now, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm not a, a complete fan of the end of that bit from Carlin, even like, especially by today's standards. I'm kind of like, well, I don't think that that was appropriate. Saying the racial stars, I understand. The issue is you gotta be able to say words to tell people what the words are. You know what I mean? Like, it, they, I, I think the problem with you saying the word was that they were able to manipulate that in the press. Changing it from John says a word and describes it as something you don't say and can criticize someone for saying it to John used a racial slur, used it as if to imply you called someone a name. The challenge now is there, there, there are instances where I was actually was talking to somebody. We have, we have, we have people come on, come on the show all the time asking us about censorship and what do we have to watch out for? Cause we know YouTube is very, very ban, ban happy. And then someone was like, uh, are we allowed to say the N word? And I was like, what? I was like, absolutely not. Are you joking? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. And they're like, really? I was like, even like in the context of World War II? And I went, <laughs> you mean Nazi? And they're like, yeah, yeah, because you can't say that either. Like just by saying that, YouTube's algorithm will probably flag this video, downrank it, demonetize or whatever, simply for bringing up a word like that. And so there, there were these instances where I was talking to people, explaining to them the problem with not being able to even describe things anymore. There is a very famous documentary about a man named James Baldwin. I cannot tell you the name of that documentary because YouTube could ban us for simply saying the name of the documentary. And it's not using the the N-word as most people know it. It's a different N-word we also can't say. And how am I supposed to describe to people the various words that can't be said if there's a bunch of different words that start with the letter N? This is the problem. And so when I heard that story about you, I was like, well, how do you tell your employees don't say these words when you can't actually tell them what the word is? Well, I think there's no place for the word, period. Um, the thing I like about what you're doing on the weekend is that you're working on your culture. You know, you're trying to change things and, and set an example and make the world a better place. And so anything that further divides our country, anything that doesn't really involve, like, kindness and thoughtfulness and consideration and collaborative alliances for our fellow man, I think that should just be off the table because um, the media kind of thrives on fear. Um, to your point, if the journalist the media would have done what you did you all you did is do a little homework you know you looked at the, four I read cars, the stories and read thought the, about it thought about it and you got it right i mean i, I can't believe it you're 32 years old um you're, you weren't where you're at today back then and you nailed it you nailed it to a t what happened and if um journalists really cared about their dignity and their integrity I think I think the approval rating right now in networks I think fifteen percent or something. I mean, oh, it's, it's miserable. It's miserable, and I think it's because they're not honest. And I think the American people are tired tired of being lied to. But what I want to do with this situation is I want to find a way to emphasize forgiveness, uh, pardon the unpardonable, forgive the unforgivable, and let everybody know that sometimes you're going to get a raw deal, and sometimes you're going to get kicked in the teeth. Um, and that's not cool, especially in this situation, because the race thing is about as it's pretty, pretty brutal to be painted in that box, especially oh, yeah. on a false narrative. But if we can find a way to for other folks to inspire them to get through their adversity, then that would be to me, that would be the bang for a buck that I get out of going through all this. It is extremely challenging, though. I mean, <laughs> when you when you have 
what we're seeing in schools, it's, the, it's critical race applied principles. And they call it critical race praxis, CRP. We call it applied principles because the acronym is a little bit more um, accurate, in my opinion. But you have them you know, just going to children, and they're teaching children to be racist. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, if, if it's not – I agree with what you're saying. You know, we want to we inspire people to be kind, to be critical thinkers, to improve themselves, to build a, a culture. People need to be responsible to a certain degree. We want to help each other, but we also got to have some responsibility. Well, what's happening now is you try to be nice. You try to be forgiving. They take advantage of it. Yeah. They come after you. I mean, take a look at exactly – the, what happened to you? I mean, I understand what you're saying. You know, forgive the unforgivable or, or, or pardon the unpardonable. But the people that, you know, uh, I guess conspired against you, <laughs> they've learned no lesson. They, in fact, they've enriched themselves. So uh, it sounds like you mentioned this a second ago that this ad agency, I think it was, right? They, they were recording you. They set you up. But that even within your own company, there were people who were seemed to be seemed to be working against you. Yeah, we had a couple board members. Um uh, Steve Ritchie was the CEO who was getting ready to get terminated. So, you know, he had to be part of this to set me up because he was going to get. Uh, so, so, so you weren't the CEO. No, I wasn't the CEO. I was chairman of the board. Oh, okay. Okay. I was wrong. Correction. And another gentleman, Mark Shapiro, who was head of governance. Um, he wanted the marketing business and, uh, after he knew that as long as I was chairman of the board and involved, that it was a conflict of interest for a board of director to have an account, the marketing account. And of course, when I got off the board, the first thing they did was gave Mark Shapiro, the $40 million um, marketing deal, and he got a $10 million package. Wow. So um, complete violation of duty of loyalty. But we had a couple of board members that um, they had personal gain. The uh, company was making a, a lot, a lot of money. And um, we had a, um, a washerman who owned laundry service. They had agency. He was good friends with Roger Goodell. Remember, I'm hammering Goodell in the paper going, Goodell, get your act. Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. Um, I'm hammering him that, you know, you got to get this solved to the players and owner satisfaction. So Goodell didn't like being called out on that. So we had, we got Goodell, we got Washerman with laundry service, uh, Steve Ritchie with Papa John's and, and, uh, Mark Shapiro. Um, they set me up. Um, the rest of the board didn't do their due diligence. They didn't do an investigation. They went along with it and we end up, um, with a complete disaster that really hurt my employees. It hurt my franchisees. Um, very badly and it hurt my community Louisville Kentucky they left my hometown when I lost control they left my home hometown so uh, I'll be fine um, you know uh, we'll live to see another day I've got a lot of the things I'm working on I'm excited about but a lot of good hard-working people that wake up and woke up every day to make Papa John's great they lost their jobs and their families got hurt and that that's not cool you know why I think the other board members didn't stand up for you they didn't want to appear in the news to be defending someone who was accused of racism. So it wasn't about doing an investigation. It was about, I'm not sticking my neck out and getting involved in this. We see what these people do when they when they go around smashing windows <laughs> and starting fires. The last thing anyone wants to do is be on their radar. Yeah, I think there was an element of cowardice to this. I think the board members took the easy way out and said, okay, we'll just pin all this on John. We'll pin the upper on John. We, we'll take the lazy way out and uh, the easy way out and um, – you know, um, and to make John the hit guy, to make John the fall man. And that's what they did. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. But that's okay. But, you know, because you don't, you don't gain anywhere in life to being the victim. So, you know, right. they did it. You know, I got a two-inch violin. Can we play it for <laughs> – let's play it for three seconds and get on with life because, you know, it's you, you got to figure out a way to use this whole – I don't know if you want to call it an episode or a, uh, what a, a chapter in the book, whatever. we got to find a way to propel this and use this to our advantage to make society uh, better. 
Were you freaking out when all this started happening? Shit, I didn't. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I treat everybody with kindness and respect. I mean, I and um, we we were raised so so good with regards to respecting everybody, regardless of the skin color. That that was just part of our family, and um, so I knew it was BS. I knew it wasn't truthful. So, but I didn't understand how it happened. How do you take something? Best place to work in Kentucky, making 160 million bucks a year. We're growing. We just passed 5,000 stores. And how do you make it into this mess on a false narrative? And so I didn't really quite understand it. And then probably two or three months after this broke, it was like, you know, I think they set me up. I mean, it really. And then here it is three years later. We still can't get documents from Papa John's. We're still waiting on 13,000 documents wow. three years later. That's how bad. So we have the setup. And now we have the cover-up. Next question is, who done it? How far up the food chain does this go? You're, you're, are you still suing? Yeah, we have a litigation right now with laundry service, Casey Washington Laundry Service. And we're waiting on 13,000 documents. They've got six lawyers between the two of them, and they fought this for eight months. Um, and Papa John's has fought the 220 now for two and a half years. So either they have something that's really bad or they're stringing us out. But if they have something that's... That's not bad. They're sure doing a heck of a job hiding it from us. You said it was three months, right? You started to question whether you think that you got set up. Well, the first thing you do in bed, you lay in bed every night and you cry. You go, wow, what the hell just happened? How am I going to get out of this? I mean, I just got painted as a racist. I mean, you just sit there and you don't know you don't know what to do because you're, you're kind of brain dead. You're numb. Your brain is numb because you don't understand. Um how they could take something that was that benign and anti-racist. It was a sensitivity training on what not to say and then flip it. Leak. Remember Forbes said he said the N word, but then what they didn't say is he said he never uses the N word. Colonel Sanders used it. So they took it out of a, a context. Um, but it was probably five or six months into it. I went, okay, this was a setup. And then we started putting the pizzas, pieces together. Pizzas. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's Freudian pretty cute. Slip. Um, hopefully we won't get barred on YouTube for that one. But, <laughs> putting the pizzas together. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then probably a year and a half. Um, and it was like, okay. And now every piece, I've never seen a lawsuits. They do this. They go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. This lawsuit has been going on for 15 months. Every single, every single thing that's happened has been to our benefit. So I think we've got a pretty ironclad case on what happened. If we just get the other side to operate with a little transparency, we'll get to the bottom of it. Frankly, at the end of the day, all Papa John's has got to do is say he was set up. He's no history of treating anybody with uh, less than the utmost respect and dignity. We're sorry John had to go through with this. He's the face of the brand. It's his name on the box. <laughs> it's his recipe. It's his concept. Um, let's all move on with our lives in a positive way. Unfortunately, the board of directors, Papa John's, is not, we talked about coward, does not have enough solid sense of self to take the hit and admit they didn't do a proper investigation. They made a huge mistake. Uh, they panicked and they did a lot of damage to this brand. Panic, I wonder. I, I, I wonder. I mean, it sounds like a setup. It sounds like people wanted to make some money. And they did. And, and they then did. it sounds like the other people were just like, hey, I'm not sticking my neck out for this. Like I said, you know, we, we see what happens. You know, uh, with the, these, these these extremists who go around with with Molotov cocktails and crowbars and bats, smashing windows and attacking people, that's scary. People are scared of what's going to happen. Yeah, well, let's get let's get back on the positive. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The you take Coca Cola, Delta, they need to be flying airplanes and making soft drinks. 
you know, Papa John's needs to be making pizzas. But if, when you have a weak board and they get this pressure from all these, you know, these this political aspect and this group that's probably the silent, you know, the, or the loud. Squeaky voice, wheel. Squeaky. Then they, they do silly things. And they need to fly airplanes and get people there safe and sound. And they need to make soda pop. And Papa John's needs to make pizza. But some for some reason, these, these boards are so... They, they pretend like they're leaders in our community and they're put together and they have high integrity and dignity and they're really made like paper dolls. You yeah. know, any negative PR, they just fold like puppets. And I had a weak board and it cost me dearly. Yeah. I think, uh, I think there's Gen X maybe, I guess, uh, Gen Xers and uh, younger boomers are much more interested in, in no confrontation. And so now you have very loud, prominent activists. They've, they've found their voice online. They've found followers mm. fighting for what they will call justice. And then you get board members who are like, look, I make a bunch of money. I don't want to be in the press. I'm not going to be involved, so I won't be. Right. Yeah, 3% of the population causes 85% of the problems. You know, 3%. So it's that, um, that very boisterous, small percent that tear things up, tear buildings up, tear cities up. You know, yeah. and, and um, you know, do crazy things um, that cause the rest of us a lot of grief. Like politicians. They, I think, Just I, kidding. you know, you, the worst thing out of everything when I saw this story about you was that it, it, this was one one of the most. Um, if you want to, if you want to, uh, if you want to call out cancel culture, we'll, we'll talk. You know, I think the you put cancel culture in the encyclopedia. They show a picture of what happened to, of you and what happened to you. They didn't just get you fired. You know, removed from your position. They started going after your legacy. There was, I think, you you had contributed to a university. Is that what happened? They took your name down. Yes, four, four universities. Yes. Which ones? U of L, UK, Ball State, and Purdue. So you had contributed to the, these universities. They took your names. They took the, your name off of these these places. Well, we believe in voluntary exchange. We believe that when you um, go out and you buy a product or service, it's mutually beneficial to all parties. Um, that's what free markets do. So the uh, curriculum that we set up in each university was free markets, voluntary exchange, entrepreneurship. And we were up to four universities. Um, the left, uh, and I won't make this political, but the left did not like us in the universities. <laughs> and uh, the group I went in with, um, and this was uh, tens of millions of dollars to do this, we had two goals. Uh, the first goal is to give the kids both sides of the coin. They hear about entitlement how good, you know, big brother, big government it is. You know, if you're successful, that's not good. You don't have to be accountable. Big bureaucracy. We flipped it and said, okay, that's fine. If you want to believe that, you need to believe whatever. But you might want to look at entrepreneurship, accountability, self-respect, <clears throat> making a contribution, uh, earning, uh, saving, getting ahead. And then, and so they, the kids loved uh, the entrepreneur program. They really did. And um, whether they went this way or that way, I don't care, as long as they could see both sides of the coin. That was goal number one. Goal number two was don't further divide uh, the country. The country's already divided. Um, this was five, six years ago. Let's don't further divide the country. And I really feel like we were accomplishing that goal. And, of course, our terminology, our nomenclature, uh, the left couldn't get on it because we were not there to divide. We were there just to teach free markets. And so I think the left really had um, an issue with us going into these universities and teaching free markets, free enterprise, and entrepreneurship. Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. 
CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com carlson. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com carlson. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. carshield.com carlson. That's carshield.com slash Carlson. Wow. Yeah. You were having a, I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I, I just saw the story where it's like name was removed from school and yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. But now it sounds like you were actually having a very, very powerful impact on young people and teaching them personal responsibility. Yeah. The first, uh, the second year at UofL, uh, out of 1,263 curriculums, uh, our program got was number four. Within two years. So the kids love entrepreneurship. They, they love hearing about free markets and freedoms in general. And so when we were at four, we wanted to go to 400 um, because we think small business um, is the backbone and the heartbeat of this country. I mean, 60-something percent of the new jobs are small business. So we like uh, micro, dirty jobs. Yeah. We like teaching vocations. We like teaching trades. We like teaching entrepreneurship. I even wanted a classroom on the front of the building, school, and then trades in the back. How do you build a house? You know, how do you work on a truck? You know, how do you do the technical part of a, a carburetor on a Toyota, whatever it is? But we actually wanted the schoolroom adjacent to the workshop, a micro kind of deal, to teach these kids how to have a career, how to have a job so they don't get out of college and owe, you know, $150,000 in debt on student loans. Do you think that there was maybe a political component to what happened to you then? I mean, you've got you've got special interests that don't want what you're teaching kids in these universities. They certainly ripped that out the moment they could. Well, you're asking the conspiracy question. Um, was... <laughs> Well, I guess is the conspiracy beyond just being set up by, you know, people who want to make money? Was there a political component? I, you know, I don't want to say anything. I really don't have facts. I know Richie and Shapiro were part of it. I know Washington Stein with laundry service were part of it. Goodell was probably part of it. How far up the food chain that goes? Uh, Washington's the head of the DNC in, in L.A. I don't really want to make that assumption. I will say this. I made a comment. It says Roger Goodell needs to solve the NFL issues to the players and owner satisfaction. Less than 20 minutes, that went viral, that I was against the players kneeling. I mean, I'm like, how, how did they take that? That was a, a, a lie, a lie, benign, innocuous, and turn it into that I'm anti-kneeling. And within one hour, we had like six million, it just blew up. So I'm kind of like, was that orchestrated? Well, do you, have you ever heard of the, the phrase a standalone complex? Yeah, emergent. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, conspiracy is a dirty word. And yeah, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm fairly anti-conspiracy in a lot of ways because you need a lot of evidence to back up these big stretches. However, when you tell a story like that, that you said, you know, solve this to the players and the coaches' benefits, is that what you said to players and coaches? or players? Goodell needs to solve this debacle to the owners and players' satisfaction. Right. Right. To take that and clearly take it out of context to make you look bad. A standalone complex would be when a bunch of people do something that effectively acts in concert to create the appearance of a conspiracy, but they're actually just doing it independently. So if you had 10 people 
who all stood up at the same time and yelled that they were, you know, fans of Papa John's, people would assume they orchestrated it. That would be a conspiracy. They, they sort of, they, they came together and planned it at 10 o'clock. We're all going to stand up and shout, we like pizza. A standalone complex would be seemingly by chance. They all stood up at the same time, independent of each other for some reason. So when you see what happened to you, perhaps it doesn't need to be a conspiracy. It could just be that when people saw there was an opportunity to go after you, yeah. political components were like, now's our chance to get rid of these free enterprise programs in these universities. And so they did. I think that concept is definitely could be uh, applicable to my situation. For this to happen, all the stars had to align perfectly in the wrong way for me. And that could have happened. That could have happened. Regarding like building entrepreneurial skills for young people, what was your young entrepreneurial career like? Like when did you get your first job and what led you up to start making the pizzas? The greatest lesson I ever had was um, when I was eight. My grandfather had kind of like a farm, miniature farm, where we had tractors and mowers and equipment. And um, he'd go out and buy new equipment and tractors, but every once in a while it would break. And like the motor would break on the tractor. And he would look at me and say, fix it. And I said, fix it. Well, I'm eight years old. I'm seven <laughs> years old. Eight years old. I'm, you know, and he goes, so I'd tear the motor apart, tear the carburetor apart on his workbench. And sometimes I could get it back together and sometimes I couldn't. He didn't care. He wanted me to know how things worked. He wanted to know how to, how, for me to know how to turn a wrench. To, to understand that the engineering, the mechanics of how things really work, that was by far, you know, how, how do ecosystems work? How does the environment work? How does the weather work? You know, how do political systems work? How does our economy work? How does our banking system work? But that all came back when I was seven, eight years old when he wasn't, both he and my dad said, it's okay to make a mistake. You know, you're not going to learn if you're not making mistakes. Now, don't make the same mistake twice. But an entrepreneur is um, nothing... Uh, but a, a big shot's nothing but a little shot that kept on shooting. So just keep on shooting, keep on trying new things and new innovations, keep tinkering. And that, go ahead. You no, know, you're you're being taught to to think critically, to think independently, to be personally responsible. I, you tell that story, and I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. You plant that seed, and here you are, this very successful businessman. And then you look at the school programs. You you said that there were two different programs, right? You wanted people to be able to see both sides. Yours was free enterprise. What was the other thing they were teaching? What was the other component? Um, big government, um, tax the rich, success is a bad thing, entitlements. Um, you know, the the number one employer for history majors in the United States is Starbucks. You know, <laughs> is that so, true? So, yeah, I mean, they would teach hard, <laughs> they want to teach soft science. You know, I wanted to always teach hard science, arithmetic, you know, uh, engineering. Uh, a veterinarian, for example, that would be a, a great career. Um, how to build something. Um, architecture. You know, those are things that are hard scientists that you can actually do something with and have a real career. At, at UofL, we were, we had 200 slots in our dentistry program and we had demand for 3,000 dentists. I'm like, <laughs> we need more dentists. I mean, yeah. you know, we don't need more lawyers. We don't need more social science folks. We need more engineers. We need more architects. We need how? more dentists. I'm curious as to how this is happening, how you could have the, the, the program that espouses independence, individuality, entrepreneurship. That's the one that gets removed. I mean, that should be the resilient side of things, right? <laughs> you do have a way with turning things on their head. Let me chew on what you just said because you just did in real time what you did back in 2018. You're right. They threw me out on something I didn't say. And the very thing that we we're trying to produce was exactly what I didn't say. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, what, what I mean is 
if you teach people to be responsible, independent, smart, cunning, and to be good people to try and help others, how is it that, that these are the ideals that seem to be faltering? You know, particularly in this story, but in my, in, in my experience, I think a lot of people are seeing it. You tend to have the big government, you know, entitlements side becoming more and more prominent, gaining control of the institutions. Maybe there's something that the uh, uh, being a good person misses. I'm not saying don't be a good person, but maybe when you're a good person, you overlook the fact that some people might be lying to you. Well, um, again, back to with your your audience here on, you know, you gotta you gotta own your own uh, BS. You gotta own your own nonsense. And so, the question for the house is. I mean, I protected my board of directors with my life. I protected my employees with my life. I protected my franchisees. I mean, I, I, I made sure that nothing was going to happen to them. And, okay, we, we now established they want the, the $160 million, They want the marketing business. They want to, you know, so they want to get rid of John. Live with that. Okay. Um, can we have a cup of coffee and say, John, you go or we'll go? No conversation, no nothing. Not only do they want to get rid of me, they wanted a crucifixion. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to paint me in a racist. Now, that's evil. I mean, that is about as bad as you can do to a founder of a pizza company that did it by the book, that played the long game and took everybody up with him. And the, the question for the house is, <clears throat> how come I didn't see that? I had no inclination that this board of directors and this executive team would do something like this. Not even a witch that they were even capable of doing this. And they did it. They continue to do it. And so what I've tried to get out of this is, okay, how can I use that for higher level of consciousness, awareness? Why didn't I see it? But then you got to flip that on its head and go, I don't want to go around life going, i got to worry about people screwing me every second of the day. So um, as you can see, we haven't quite reached the forgive the unforgivable. Uh, we're definitely off. Um, I'm going to kill these people. We're off that one, <laughs> which is where we were at back here, <laughs> literally. Um but it's uh, it's a lot to take in. It's it's a lot to overcome. But we we to move on with the life, we have to get to that that forgiveness stage. We have to. Yeah, it kind of feels like um, people who are trying to be nice and do good are unsuspecting of you know what's going to come after them. And the story you tell me about uh, you know I know people who worked for Papa John's. They said it was fantastic. Mm. I remember I, I was reading some quotes where you were saying that you know people got to get paid more. The minimum wage was too low. I've heard you, you know, you basically talked about things that are fairly populist, right? Help for the for the little guy and for the working class. And sure enough, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but you, you, you may be too nice, you know? Well, you understand, Papa John's, and, and we, we did build a great uh, company, but we also had great people. We had a great team. We really were more in the people business than the pizza business. It was a fantastic group of uh, individuals. And that's how we got the thing over 5,000 stores. Um, but... I think you can't, you know, you you just got to stay positive with this. And um, I, I think that if you take care of people and you do the right thing, then sooner or later, you know, karma's karma's a real deal. I mean, karma, you know, what goes around comes around. You, you're definitely right about forgiveness. I think we're about to enter the age of like more transparency, especially in government. And when we start changing our government, there's going to be we're going to start finding all these crimes and criminals within the politicians, and it's going to be really. You know, people are really going to want to punish them. But I think we have to forgive these people. Hillary Clinton's email scandals, for instance. we got to forgive these people and make sure that if we move forward to society, it's all together. Otherwise, those rich people in the shadows are going to try and avoid getting caught, and they're going to try and do damage to the people attempting to move the system forward. So I'm full with you about this forgiveness era. I mean, 
Some people are really, really dead. Yeah, but it's, really it's not people. up for up to us to decide. In my opinion, I, I don't think we can do it if we don't do it together, all of us. As weird as it sounds, Ian, horrible if, if crimes. There's, if there's no justice for horrible crimes, then people lose faith in the system because I've already lost faith, man. Because the justice and, is, and dis- you don't you don't bring it back by saying bad people get can get away with bad things, well, but good people get. You punished. know the Ben Franklin quote: "A hundred pe- guilty people better to escape than one innocent suffer." I think that maybe that's ten thousand guilties should escape rather than one innocent suffer. That is a hard question, man. Because I understand what you're saying. If we if we stay if if we stay with the rage and the anger, then we fall apart. But if we allow people to get away with evil, then you live in an evil society. Not in the future, but for past crimes. It's just an idea. Yeah, I think I think you'll end up in an evil society. I think when We're people there, when right, and I don't I don't think I don't know if there's a real simple solution to everything we're seeing. I mean, you know, it might be. I don't want to get too dark, but we saw a year of rioting. We saw, uh, uh, you know, I talked about this earlier on my other channel, 60 Secret Service agents injured at the White House after left-wing groups pulled down the barricades, started fires in, 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 a, in a Secret Service guard post, and, a, and in the church, 60 Secret Service officers injured, and they, 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 they get away with it. In fact, when Donald Trump was, was brought to the emergency bunker because of this extreme violence, the media mocked him and made fun of him. And now you have January 6th with those hearings today, and it's inverted completely. Now the officers are crying on camera. Now, of course, I think what happened on January 6th when you actually watch the footage of the violence is horrifying and wrong, and these people should be held accountable. The problem is you have a large group of people who see what just happened. They see 60 officers can be hurt, the president can be ushered to the bunker, and the media will laugh. But then you get you know a few hours on one day with another riot, which is also bad, and they're holding congressional hearings about it. This is going to shatter regular people when they're looking at what's going on and they're going to say I'm, I'm not playing this game anymore and what I mean by that I think a lot of people are going to start becoming just completely non-compliant in the sense that they have no confidence in the system if someone says you know if, if the government issues a mandate do X they're going to be like why, why should I care you know it's, it's a free for all on this side and nothing I'm, I'm just not going to engage anymore this is going to lead people to feel like the system doesn't work they are insecure in their in their person and their belongings and their family and it's going to destabilize the country unless there is justice. And that means, by all means, justice for the people on January 6th. So those rioters who were fighting with cops and attacking them will get charged for their crimes. But it also means all of the rioters from the past year have to be charged and held accountable as well. Otherwise, you have anarcho-tyranny. The government will not enforce the rights that affect the small guy and the small businesses. They'll even ignore it when they come to the White House and the president is ushered downstairs. But then when it's their side, they'll enforce everything with an iron fist. That's going to shatter people. Yeah, the um, whether you like Trump or not, um, Trump does love America. He does understand entrepreneurship, and both sides of the aisle, all those guys are on the take. You know, Mitch McConnell been in office for thirty years. He's worth thirty five million. Pelosi's worth. How do you get thirty five? How do you get a? I mean, so they're all. Trump's the only one that's not on the take. He's the only one. I had to get rid of him. And, and they, yeah, they finally did, but. The, the the whether you're left or right, the, the people that wake up every day and make our country great, they're just trying to make the right decision for their families. They're, they really, you know, they, you know. Sometimes I get on my, I love, I have friends both sides, and I, I love them both. Sometimes I argue with my friends on my left because I'm going. I think your ideology overrides your intelligence, you know, because that doesn't make any sense. But it's a it's a healthy dialogue back and forth. The progressive elite at the top will scorch this earth. They do not care about humanity. 
And that's the piece that upsets me is that I, I don't think that the, the folks at the elite progressive left top have any regard for the, the working men and working women. They refer to them as mouths. You know, we just, they just, you know, it's a mouth, another mouth we got to worry about. Mouths. Mouths, yeah. yeah. Another mouths we got to worry about. So, wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's creepy, man. They're wild animals. You know what I think, though? I think they view it as a, as it, it's utilitarian, right? Their, their whole view is if we have a million people mm-hmm. and we do something that benefits 900,000 and sacrifices 100, who cares? It's for the good of the collective. So they're willing to sacrifice the individual, not protect those rights. It's part of why centralized planning of, of governance doesn't function because, they're out of touch. They can't identify with the crowd. Well, also because it foments revolutions. If you keep sacrificing different groups or, or ignoring their needs because your focus is solely on the greater collective, you end up with all of these different organizations around you saying we're tired of being mistreated. When you focus on the individual, when you guarantee the individual's rights, you have a whole grassroots network moving all the way up from people who are like, I feel like my rights are being protected. So as the progressive left starts to gain more and more power, starts to dictate what the Democrats do, you start seeing more utilitarianism, and in turn, you're going to see more and more chaos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why they left the leave the borders open in Mexico, because those folks are going to come over and, and vote left. And they shut the borders to Cuba, because those folks are going to come over and say, you don't want to have what we just had for 30 years. Yeah. That's it's, right. The hypocrisy uh, we, is pretty unbelievable in those two uh, border situations. We saw in Miami what the pollsters were saying was safe Democrat went Republican. Because the people in Miami know exactly what these words mean. The people in, in, in South Texas are actually experiencing the problem of the illegal immigration. But I will, I will issue a, a, a partial clarification or partial correction. These people don't need to come and vote left. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who say that if, you know, illegal immigrants come across the southern border, they will become citizens, immediately vote. You know, that's why Democrats want natu- naturalization. But the census doesn't ask you if you're a citizen. So when a million people come across the border this year already, they can they, they, they can place these people in certain areas. Then on the census, how many people live here? And that will affect the amount of electoral votes that reach that area will have. I think it was the Heritage Foundation said that California gets one extra electoral vote based on their illegal immigration. These last few years have not been easy on our economy. And with tax season finally arriving, there will be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them and pocketing profits for themselves. America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-431-5684 and you'll be in touch with America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS's predatory tactics and put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-431-5684. That's 800-431-5684. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Again, 800-431-5684 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Even if these people don't vote because they can't, because they're not citizens, it still is more power in the electoral process for these these groups. Now, if they do, uh, it's also more congressional seats. It's not just the presidential vote. You will get a congressional seat based on people who are not citizens. So, yeah. yeah. I, I got to come clean. I've never put together 
that illegal immigration can change the electoral vote. I've never put that together. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Tim well, just casually mentioned it to me like two two a month ago, and it's been like ringing in my head ever since. It's insane. Well, I'm, a lot of conservatives don't seem to realize that either. But you do have the Heritage Foundation, which mentioned you know it's like one. So it's not like the apocalypse. But hey, that's a free it's a precedent. Seat. Yeah, that's a it's a free congressional seat. So there now, I think I think California lost a seat. I'm not sure. I think New York did. Uh, so there are changes happening. But Donald Trump was trying to get the citizenship question on the census for this reason, so that people who are not citizens would say they're not a citizen, and then you could have better representation for American citizens. Democrats would lose a a, a decent amount of power percentage wise if that were to happen. So of course it was blocked and thrown out, and. What does that mean? It means that you could be a tax-paying American. You could be born here. You could follow all the rules. You got student loans. You were told to go to college. You're struggling to find work. You end up as a history major working at Starbucks. You pay your taxes, but you're not getting health care. You're, you're, you, 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 get, you get sick and you go to the hospital. They charge you 10 grand. You don't understand why this is happening. Unfortunately for many of these people, you have the Pied Piper of the progressive left telling them the real problem is not that they've opened the borders or, or that they've destroyed industry. The real problem is the industry itself. So what happens when you have people who instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe it's a problem that a million people this year crossed our border welcomed right in by Joe Biden. I mean, that is absolutely shocking. You see these videos. There's a video that went viral like a week, week ago. The border gate is open. People just walk on through, walk right up to a CBP vehicle, hop on in and get taken off. Then we learned there was a, there was a whistleblower uh, two whistleblowers, I believe, footage was released. Do you know the Biden administration is smuggling, actually human trafficking migrant children on planes into states like Tennessee? Hmm. This was one of the most shocking things I had ever seen. I couldn't believe it. When you have, and they're doing it out of military bases, out of, I believe, military bases, the Biden administration, is, there's a, these, are, these are videos that have been published. You see them taking kids, putting them on planes, they flew into Tennessee, and then just released them into community centers. Republican politicians, they were shocked. Why is this happening? They are... Bringing, they're, they're, they're giving themselves more power. Now look, I got tremendous respect. I say this all the time. I have a thousand times more respect for the illegal immigrants who come to this country believing that this is their opportunity for freedom and opportunity than I do for the progressive left that come out and say America is evil and racist and it's a hellscape. It's, that's just not true. But a system cannot be maintained when you have a million people just come in. Economies are not infinite bubbles of free resources. Economies have ebbs and flows. They have balances. There's supply and there's demand. So if you have a massive influx of a million workers or people looking for work, at the same time you have massive unemployment and labor shortages. I mean, you're 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 adding more problems to the mix, and we've yet to solve them. Well, you know, 1892 Ellis Island. That's how we all, you know, most of our our grandfathers and great grandfathers got over here, and they had a process, you know, and. Um, you know, I think we, we want folks to come to America. We just want a process to get them in and get them in legally. And I think that if we did it in 1892, we should be able to do it today. I agree. Yeah, I often say that uh, a lot of people need to realize this, too. P- people are critical of immigration. When the, when the people immigrate here legally, we're getting the, we are getting the best. You know, these, these people who are mm-hmm. leaving Nigeria and come here and they're extremely successful because we are getting passionate individuals who are like, I'm going to have that dream. The challenge, I suppose, is the people who are jumping the line, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they go. I mean, Biden is basically just shuffling them through and dropping them off. 
We need to be able to make sure people survive, people flourish, and that a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah, I'm thinking about vertical farming because with this influx of people, and like you said, they consider the mouths to feed. Have you followed like the, um, like it's called the phenomena of vertical farming? And like uh, Aero Farms, I think in, in Jersey is the largest indoor vertical farm where they like grow greens. You can really only grow green vegetables like leafy greens. Um, the, the tentacle, the roots grow through this mesh hanging and then you spray it with water and nutrient water <laughs> and they get, they can produce tens of thousands of pounds <laughs> of lettuce, you know. So you're saying you think we'll be able to feed everybody? Well, maybe, but it's just green vegetables. It's not like, have, did you guys ever source indoor vertical farming food with Papa John's? We looked at the organic route. No way with 5,000 stores. Now we could have yeah. done that on a regional basis, but we had, um, a heck of a time and spent over a hundred million bucks a year just getting the chemicals out of the ingredients that in itself was an act of god i, w- and I, I want to stress something to the people listening they may they, they may be thinking to themselves what is ian talking about we're talking about migration i'm talking about farms but he brings up a really good point do we can we keep just making more and more food especially when there's a, 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 a you you mentioned something that's really interesting i hear this you're saying with five thousand stores it was difficult to do organic trying to get the chemicals out of the food how do we, as this, this wealthy nation, support a million people coming in? You know, what's funny is when it comes to the climate change stuff, they, they say America is one of the biggest polluters. Well, then the last thing we need is a million people coming in and adding to that. Yeah, this is um, this really hits uh, home with me. This is near and dear to my heart because the, the next, whatever, next Papa John's I do or whatever, the four criteria it has to be in my soul. It's, it has to be something that I breathe and really feel, uh, you know, sacred. It has to be better for humanity. It has to make humanity better. I mean, the pizzas was great. That's good run. Brings friends and family together. But, and then um, uh, sustainable. You know, I wouldn't be feeding this thing and then scalable. I like big things. And one, two of the big problems we have in this country is pharmaceuticals. You know, they don't know the side effects of all these drugs. You know, I'm not sure they know the effects of one when you mix two or three together. And the food supply is controlled by, you know, five processors, basically, and five seed companies. And they're destroying our, our soil, destroying yeah. our atmosphere. I mean, the organic soil is what absorbs a lot of that CO2 in the atmosphere. So <clears throat> monumental task. How do you how do you get people off the pharmaceuticals and how do you, get, you know, get the food supply, you know, back where it's at? Then you go to water and then then you go to sleep. You know, that's the oar ring. So those are those would be the three or four things I would want to get done with humanity. But I guess you just start one piece at a time and just build up like you were talking about up in the northeast. Did you say something about the ring? Yeah, this is an oar ring. It measures your sleep. Oh, if you're not sleeping good oh, at wow. night. Yeah, this is the, the body recovers mentally, emotionally, physically, um, all your organs at night, especially on your deep sleep. So you this monitors it. It's 300 bucks. There's no monthly fee. It's Aura. Um, it's like a Bluetooth thing for your phone or something? Yeah, you put it up. It tells you what, you know. Wow. Like I, I can pull up my sleep last night. Oh, know, cool. I what? Last I, have, I was I, at 86. I have a watch that does that, but, like, what am I supposed to do? Wear my watch in bed? Okay. It's oh, the weirdest yeah. thing. This, I'm like, I got to charge it, right? Yeah. yeah, this is last night's sleep. What does it say? What what uh, metrics goes, does it give you? 86, <clears throat> sleep eight hours, nine minutes, 88%. But here's what you want to look for is your deep sleep was an hour and 43 and your REM sleep was an hour and seven minutes. Wow. So Is that good or bad? Uh, that's at 86. Anything over, oh, even anything over 76 is out of 100. Good. Once you get in the 90s, it's hard to do. Um, but this is, this is really good for sleep. 
it'll give you a pulse all day. You read out your exercises. I'm up to 18,000 steps a day, but your, yeah, your watch, your watch, your, your watch will do better than this for your steps during the day, your heart rate, your cycling, et cetera. But this is really good for your sleep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talking about uh, the nice. universities, you know, we were, we were talking about the program to teach people free market and then they had the big government side. We, we opened this uh, podcast talking about these kids who are being indoctrinated. They're being told they can't succeed because of their race, things like that. And I'm worried that this is going to teach a generation not to try. They can't be successful and will make them dependent. So, you know, when you were telling the story about how you have this college program, I mean, they're going to the grade schools right now. I'm curious what you think about, you know, what our kids are going through and what do you think is going to happen with that? I'm worried, as we talked about. Um, my focus is those four attributes, you know, we talked about. Um, and I want it to be uh, under 40 because under, you know, between 15 and, and 40, this those generations, um, you got processed food, <laughs> you got social media, you got Internet, you got all this technology, you got all these technical advices around them you got pharmaceuticals you got super high anxiety you got a little bit of deterioration of the family i'm really worried about that demographics and when i hear critical race theory the law of unintended consequences here are you know there's going to be tentacles going every which way i'm worried that's actually going to hurt the black community more than it's going to help them i agree there's a viral video right now where this um there's there's this uh, black father and it's i think it's actually one of the best criticisms of the critical of, of the critical race applied principles so theory would be just uh the academic literature and the applied principles would be what they actually tell the kids and what they implement and this is a father who says he just very politely says hey you know uh, my my kids came home and they were very scared and they said that you talked about slavery and 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 jim crow but nothing in between i'd appreciate it if you just you know let my kids be kids and grow up a little bit because I want them to be the best they can be, but they're being told they can't. So, you know, and that, that was basically it. Very calm, not this rage-filled, how dare you, it was him just being like, look, my kids are freaking out, and can we just let them be kids for a minute? And then I'm like, I hear you, man. Yes, kids. You, you, what, what, I, what I don't like about what's happening in these schools and what worries me is that you, you, we had this story the other day uh, of fourth graders being told to go through this critical race, you know, applied principles packet and answer all these questions. And they tell the white kids that you're oppressors, that you're evil, you know, that, you know, you need to recognize what you've done and your ancestors, are, you know, the sins of the fathers are yours. And then they tell the, the children who are not white that you can't succeed because of your race and because of these things. What's going to happen to a kid who's told they can't succeed? They're going to say when they fail, when they when they stumble and fall and hit their knee, they're going to look at the crack in the ground and say, that's the fault of the white man who made the sidewalk, not me for not paying attention. If you go through life that way refusing to acknowledge where you have made a mistake, how could you ever possibly improve? You can't. Well, this whole past thing is, is a problem. Um, if you take uh, two siblings that come out of an alcoholic family, um, one grows up and drinks themselves to death. The other one grows up and is the CEO or the president or whatever to fortune and fame. And so you, you ask the, the one that, eventually drink them. So why, well, why'd you, why'd you drink so much? He said, well, cause my parents drank all the time. And then you ask the other sibling that went to the top, why, why didn't you drink? And they said, well, I didn't drink because my parents drank and I want to be like my parents. The point of that is the, the past doesn't make the future. The future makes the past. This living in the past, you know, I, you got to acknowledge it. You got to learn from it. 
But we can't be worrying about things that happened, you know, two, three, four, five, six hundred years ago. We need to identify what's going on right now and plan for a bright future for all of us. Yeah, I think there's a lot of powerful political interests who recognize grievances make money. Media outlets realize, hey, if we can say something that's shocking and and, and freak people out, we're going to get paid. And then there are special political interests say we will get votes, whether it's votes or cash. There's power to be had. In, in fanning the flames of this stuff. Well, there's money everywhere. That's, you know, the medical system, academia. I mean, it's just right. a big money machine. The pharmaceuticals we talked about, the billions they give in lobbyists, the food process. So all of it is gets back to, you know, follow the money for sure. But there's, it, at the end of the day, principles always are more powerful than force. And good is always supersedes evil. We just got to hang on to it. There are just some bad people who think, I think it's a lack of empathy, in a sense. They don't care what happens to other people. Perhaps it's a combination of utilitarianism and nihilism mm. or callousness or some measure of each you know, individual idea existing within people. One of my favorite stories I tell people is this: back when I was uh, you know growing up in Chicago, there was there were people who would you know sell pot, right? And it was like a really risky thing to do. You know what I mean? You might make money doing it, but it's super illegal. And I remember meeting some guy. And he was talking about how people were really dumb. He's like, man, you got people in this neighborhood, they're so stupid. You know why? They sell, they sell dope. They're selling pot. Why would you do that? And then I was like, what do you mean? They're trying to make money. And it's like an easy way to make money. He's like, no, it isn't. He's like, you know what I do? He's like, I call local venues. I ask them what bands are playing this weekend, Friday or Saturday. I call the band and say, hey, I'm going to make shirts for you to sell to your audience and I'll take 20%. And they'd say, okay. And then he'd go to a print shop. He'd spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks on shirts, sell them all out to this band's fans, make himself a couple grand in a weekend, totally legally. And he was like, I make more money working one day out of the week than all of these people selling dope. Why are they doing it? They're not thinking. They're being told lies. They're being told it's an easy way to make money. It's not true, man. There's better ways to make money. So I bring this up because there's a lot of people who are grifting, who are manipulating, who are trying to make a quick buck. But there's really easy ways to make legitimate money if you just think and you work hard. Well, you know, back to this board of directors. I mean, you can talk about what they did, evil, this, that, you know, and the other, and just how wrong, and it's horrific. But it's it's their problem. <laughs> it's not my problem. All yeah. I can do every day is wake up and, and put the best version of John Ford that I can put forward. And as long as I'm better myself and I'm better than the people around me, then hopefully that will spread a lot, um, a lot better and a lot more poignant and a lot more graceful than people that are doing wrong. I, I, do, I believe that. So when when uh, you're, we, we had people from your crew show up, we also had a bunch of free – you sent us some pizzas. Right. So we're downstairs and Papa John's Pizza shows up. I was told by uh, some of the people who are working with you that you can – they were like, oh, send him a picture. He will point out everything that's wrong <laughs> with the pizzas. And at first I was like, do you mean mm-hmm. like the, the, the mm-hmm. since he left, they've ruined the pizzas? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Just like the pizzas aren't perfect, right? So so actually one of the first <laughs> things you do is you come in, you're like, let me take a look. And then you point it out, you know, here's where they made mistakes. This should have done this. This should have, should have been better. I only bring this up because you mentioned there was a bonus thing that you had, right. that you were you were paying out a decent amount of the profits and bonuses to your staff. That was that, That's true? Right. Well, the guest experience can't... Uh, exceed the um, the employee's experience. And the employee's having a miserable day at work. They're going to take it out on the guest. So we always put the employees first. And a big part of that was we made them feel like owners. And we did that through profit sharing. And if you got the product right and you got the service right and you had a good attitude, usually the customer was pretty happy. So we, we figured out how to measure that. 
uh, we put out a great pizza, and when they got it right and the good, with good service and good attitude, then we paid in, in bonuses in the tens of millions of dollars. So our employees, um, not only were they getting promotions and getting raises, they were getting huge uh, bonuses, and so that was what I call a win-win-win-win-win. Was there a percentage that you allocated to this? Well, the managers, for, for example, were 20%. Um, but it goes right up from the manager, right up the supervisor, right up even to the people in the office. Uh, the executives all get paid. It's another thing we did. We had the bonus system aligned from top to bottom. So most corporations, the guy not only at the top gets his four, five, six, seven million bucks, and the people at the bottom getting taken advantage of, which is immoral. It's unethical. Um, we made it so that the guy at the top couldn't get a bonus unless the folks doing the heavy <laughs> lifting at store level got a bonus. So the, the bonus system had a, a total alignment, total integrity. And that was very, that was one of the most powerful things we did is bonus from bottom to top. It does that, does that system still exist after you've left? No. The first two things they did when I left was they took out the measurement system. Well, if you don't measure it, they're not going to do it. If you What's, don't reward what was that measurement system? Measurement met the quality, which you just alluded to, the 10 point scale and the quality of the product. How long it took to get the pizza there? How many times the phone ring? Did the driver had a hat on? Did the driver smile? That kind of thing. The measurement system, the matrix to measure the quality and what we call demonstrable value, which is basically the customer experience. And the second thing they took out was uh, the principles. Um, we really are big on principles. And we think well, you got to have core values. Every company has core values. FedEx is going to have different core values than GM. GM is going to have different core values than Papa John's. The core values are nice, and they're uh, pretty, uh, um, you know, specific to whatever company, but principles are universal. So, uh, mutual respect, kindness, um, thoughtfulness, collaborative alliances, win, 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 authenticity. Those are all uh, like gravity. They're just there. And you can fight principles all you want, but principles like gravity sooner or later are going to, going to win. So we built the company on principles, um, and then core values and then measurement system on quality. And it was very, very powerful. But that's the things they took out the first because those are the hardest things to do. How did it start? You know, well, it, well, real quick, oh. though, to follow up on this point, the reason I brought this up is that Bernie Sanders proposed 20% per- <clears throat> stock sharing with, with the workers so that when profits come in, a quarter of the profits are divvied up and then sent out to the workers. It's fascinating to me that you know I've heard uh, quotes from you about minimum wage being too low. We, you're talking now about this bonus structure, and it sounds like a lot of the things the left claims to want, you are actually doing. Chick-fil-A gives half the money to their managers. Half the profits go to the store manager. So I'm, wow. I'm big on ownership, and I'm big on splitting the pie up. Um, uh, if you give the employees, a, say you're making 100000 bucks a year, and you give the employees uh, 30000 of it, um, you know, Believe it or not, within a year or two, they're going to have that number up to 140 or 160. Yeah. So they want to make money. They, I know. And so that 70% of a, of a hundred is act, if you had a hundred percent, a hundred within two or three years, the 70% of the number is going to be a bigger number. So yeah, it compounds itself for sure. Chick fil A, they pay their staff really well also, right? They do everything well. I mean, there's a, they're, they're, um, principle centered. I don't like to get too much into religion, but they're definitely spiritual. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they obey universal laws and universal truths. Uh, they're very consistent. They're family run, so they can do, they can play the long game, and um, they take care of the people, and they love, uh, they love America, and they love humanity. They're, 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 they were the one company that we always wanted to be like, Chick Fil A. Yeah. Wow. In the very beginning, when you spun up Papa John's, you had one restaurant. Yes. What What year was that? Room Closet was eighty four. The first freestanding building was uh, nineteen eighty five. And you had, did you lay out wait, all wait, the principles? Hold, hold, hold on, Broom Closet. 
Yeah, we were in the broom closet of the, da- the old man's tavern. Nice. We have five dollar pizzas in the broom closet, fifty cent beers in the front, and a dollar big burger on the side. Was it like the similar ingredients as to what you used as the years went on, or did you kind of tweak the? We product? always we always really did have good integrity with the ingredients. We didn't have the ingredients um, when we started off with that we had when I left in eighteen because we didn't have the money to, you know, to get rid of all the chemicals and some of the other things. But we had the fresh pack sauce. We ground the own cheese. We had the Munster mozzarella blend. Um, we made our own so, dough. So it was, it was a good pie from the get-go. Did you freeze wait, wait, the wait, dough? Wait, 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 well, how old were you in the broom? Like, we'll start from the broom closet. How old were you when you were doing this broom closet in a tavern? Broom closet was 84, so I would have been 22. 22. So you started making pizzas as part of this tavern. How did that become a freestanding building? <laughs> we're in the broom closet. And... Um, we're in there for a couple months, and we're, we're, we're doing well in the bar. We're selling 50-cent beers, and we're selling these dollar McBurgers, and we're doing real well. And so we start selling these $5 pizzas on the back, and, we, you know, we do $10 a day, and then we do $100. So one Tuesday, we did 200 bucks on the Tuesday in this broom closet. My brother and I were jumping up and down because <laughs> we thought we were rich. And uh, when I left, we'd do $20 million a day and couldn't pay our bills. But anyway, <laughs> but, um, but we really thought 200 bucks. You know, how in the world can you spend all that money? And then we got that broom closet up to about $3,000. And so we, there was an old KFC, original KFC in Jeffersonville was adjacent to Mixed Lounge. So we actually took that space over and built a dining room, a big kitchen, and built a freestanding building right next to Mixed Lounge. The business went from 3000 a week to 9000 in two weeks. Wow. And I went, heck, didn't cuss, <laughs> heck. If you put a sign on the front door, it really helps your marketing. <laughs> so we didn't have a sign on the front door. So we tripled our business by just putting a Papa John sign on the front door. Was that, you said 3000 and 9000 Was that after expenditures of the new place, like rent? rent? That was just sales, weekly sales. We tripled our sales. You do everything off your sales in the restaurant business. Now, so yeah. now, now hold on there a minute. You said it was called Papa John's right away? Uh-huh. And it was named after you? Uh-huh. And how old were you, 22? 22. You were not a father, were you? No, it's a, no. It was, it's all it's all it's all built on a lie, no, isn't it, it? Well, you don't have to be uh, French to be a good lover. <laughs> Come on, yeah. They told me to put, to put equity mm. on my uh, on mm. my resume when I was an actor, non equity, and they're like, this way <laughs> the equity, you'll get hired in equity because they think you're already equity, and then when they hire you, they'll actually pay for you to become equity. Hey, there you go. Yeah, age old reasoning. So so let's let's walk through this then. So you got one store, uh, nine thousand dollars a week. You said, yeah. when was there a moment where you realized that it was taken off and you were going to be uh, very successful? We're doing 9000 a week, and there's a Domino's about two miles down the road in Grant Plaza. So I drive down, and you got to understand, I'm I'm 22. I'm pumped. You know, we're killing it. Mixed. <laughs> we're killing it with the beer, killing it with the pool tables, killing it with the McBurger, and now we're killing it with the pizza. So we're having a big time. We're 22, 23 years old in Jeffersonville, Indiana, making 130 grand a year. Wow. Selling $5 pizzas and 50-cent beers. So I walk in this Domino's, and I look at the manager, and I said, what are you doing a week? He said, yeah, I'm doing... Doing five, five, fifty-five, six thousand a week, and I looked at him, and so we're doing nine thousand. And I turned around and walked out of that Domino's, and I thought, if I can beat them in Jeffersonville, and I can beat them in the whole world. Wow! I'm twenty, but this time we had our <laughs> own building. This would have been eighty-five, so I'd have been yeah. twenty-three. I'm twenty-three years old, and I thought like that. I thought we can, we can, we can, we can rule the world. We can beat them in Jeffersonville. We can roll the pizza world. Yeah, I know. We thought that way. I mean, I look back and I go, man, I'm, I really was crazy. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, walk us through what, where, where you end up. What was your second location? How did that, how did, how did that come to be? Well, the first door had, um, 
in-house dining, uh, mozzarella sticks, zucchini, salads, uh, mug of beer if you wanted it. And the consumers didn't like the dining room. They liked it the, delivered. And the dining room was all the expense and the, the capital outlay. So the second store, we went to the formula, put 100000 in to build it, do 10000 a week in sales, make 10% profits with a $1,000 a month rent. And that formula got us to about store 20 or 25, which wow. would have been 18, 1989, 1990. And then from there, we just kept getting a little bit better and kept growing that top line. And then, uh, as I said, went public in June of 93. Did uh, did Domino's have a dining room too? No. No. So you, you were actually starting off as like a traditional neighborhood pizza restaurant or yeah. Italian restaurant, I guess. Well, you always have to listen to the customer. You know, that's like marketing. Everybody's a marketing genius. because. But the problem with that is it's inside-out thinking. You don't need to think about marketing from inside out. You need to think about it from the customer's perspective, from the prospect's uh, perspective. And so the customer was telling us they like our pizza delivered. They want it carried out and delivered. They don't want to sit down and eat it at the store. So you got to listen to your customer. And so we did, and we got rid of the, the dining room. Um, what was, like, the ingredient sourcing experience like from the first restaurant on? How did you start advancing them? Well, we knew what sauce we wanted. Um, we had the recipes on the dough. Uh, we knew how to grind the cheese. From, with the, from the very beginning? Yeah, because I'd made pizzas at Rockies when I was 15. Oh, yeah. I'd worked at Greek's Pizzeria, uh, worked at Domino's. Um, we were familiar with Carl's Bakery and some of their baking techniques. So we had a pretty good formula for the pizza early on. Um, and we just, we just ran, we went around and took the best from, from everybody. The best sauce, the best cheese, the best box, the best whatever. And took all that and combined it into it. So we basically stole all the best. Uh, recipes, ingredients, ideas from all the competition and just try to combine it into one concept. The garlic sauce was pretty groundbreaking because <laughs> nobody really, a lot of other restaurants, I don't think they did that, did they? No. we. Um, w- there was an independent pizzeria over in New Albany, and um, they had the garlic sauce. Um, and I just thought that was a neat idea to put the salt, the dough in the garlic yeah. sauce, the you know the crust, and dip it. In. And so we started that. And we got, what we did, we took um, butter and put it in a tube, um, heated it up, took the tube and then filled these little cups up. And the problem is that butter would go everywhere. The whole store would be slick with butter. Oh, so st- st- store number three, <laughs> we took the butter out. And the consumer went crazy. I want my butter. I want butter. So we were forced to it. So um, the big thing with the butter is how do you manufacture that butter and get that lid to stay on? And so that was a patent to get that done. Oh, oh wow. And so when we finally left, we were selling a million pizzas a day. And so those butters are like, eight cents a piece so our butter bill was i don't know 30 million bucks a year so it was a crazy wow. number eight yeah. cents to manufacture well, what, what, was it was a crazy number what it was, was that in 2018 well, let's run the math so we know we were selling over 300 million pizzas a year and we know that those butters i think those butters are 10 cents it's been a while so that's 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 30 million bucks on butters but I mean, that's going to be a ballpark. Now that may be a little old, but that's going to be close. I would imagine they enhanced the value of the pizza by thirty percent. That maybe is a large number, maybe fifteen percent. Yeah. But I mean, ten cents for twenty percent. The butters, value. the butters, and the pepperoncinis were just kind yeah, of our ways of, way to oh say gosh, thank yeah. you. This is interesting. Pepperoncinis are actually growing in the backyard in Greece. Little farmers, they put the little pails out, and people come by and pick them up. And we started putting a couple pepperoncinis in every box, and it got to be nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. And there was a shortage on pepperoncinis. You know, the price of pepperoncinis per bushel went up fourfold because oh we were using too too many uh, pepperoncinis. Oh, but I, I I love that 
you know, the best part. To this you, day. Get, you get the garlic, the garlic, was it a garlic butter sauce and the pepperoncinis? Garlic butter. I always, I always ask for extra uh, peppers, man. I, yeah. I love them. Just yeah. eat them I, with the pizza. I have to ask, I'm being pressured to ask this by outside sources. What happened with putting soy into your pizza? I guess there was some <laughs> conversation about that going back a couple of years, I guess. I don't really know. I'm really not really up to date on soy. Um, the, some of the, some of the oils that we use on the dough machines could be soy, soy, Soybean based, um, right. but I don't know if there's a lot of soybeans. So, soybeans used for fillers. We didn't use a lot of fillers, if any. Okay. But remember, it's been five years since I've been in there, right. so I'm not right. sure what they're putting in it. Interesting. Uh, I hope it's not soy. So uh, let's uh, because we do hard hitting journalism here at uh, <laughs> at TimCast.com. We're gonna. I want. I want to. I actually want to pull up these ingredients: uh, Domino's, Pizza Hut, and Papa John's. And you know, so your slogan was "Better ingredients, better pizza." There, we, we, we order pizza all the time. We got a ton of people working here now. It's, it's growing by the day. And so I frequently just try and get everybody some food. We bring it in and we have these sit down meetings kind of things we do. Everybody sits down. It's like a family dinner, but for the, for the staff. And so we'll do pizza. We've ordered pizza before. I won't order pizza ever again. I looked up their ingredients. I want to show people something. It's interesting to me. We got the ingredients from Domino's.com. I just Googled this. All right. I got their Brooklyn, their handmade pan crust, their hand-tossed crust, because, again, hard-hitting journalism, right? This is the stuff you, you, you guys really want to know about. <laughs> I look at their, their, their hand-tossed crust, and it's got, like, uh, you know, maltodextrin. Uh, it's got dough conditioners, sodium, stearyoil, lacetate, enzyme calcium sulfate, ascorbic acid, vitamin C, which is, which is vitamin C, calcium phosphate, L-cysteine, yeast, cornmeal. They mention uh, – they, they break down what enriched flour is and what's in it, so folic acid and stuff like that. But I, I noticed there's there's these dough conditioners. I don't know what that is. That's potassium bromate, but they're not calling it potassium bromate anymore because it's they use it in yoga mats. Not what, what? Yeah, it's a chemical that's in yoga mats that they put in bread as a Ugh. as a treatment. It's well, disgusting. so hold on. It's illegal me, in let, Europe. Let me pull out uh, pull up the weirdest thing. Is I'm I looked up I looked that. up Pizza Hut, right? So this is nutritionics.com Pizza Hut ingredient search. Maybe this is wrong because it's not pizzahut.com. But they say in their crust they do enriched flour. Then they say, uh, okay, so where's that end? Okay, water, yeast, soybean oil, and then it contains vital wheat gluten, sugar, and en- uh, sugar enzymes, ascorbic acid, sucralose, pan oil, so- soybean oil, TBHQ added to protect freshness. Sucralose is splendid. It's an artificial sweetener. They're putting a fake artificial. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like drinking that stuff. I don't like eating it. That was really weird to me. And then I look up uh, Papa John's, and it's it's unbleached enriched wheat flour, that's so the that's used All by the ones. Enriched. And then it says sugar, soybean oil, salt, yeast. You, the ingredients list on Papa John's, it's like... I use soybean oil. So that, that's what I want to ask I've about. I've been using olive oil. That's that's why I just had to bring this up, because Lydia asked about we, soybean when, oil. When I did love, we did have olive oil in the dough. That was one thing they took out. Oh, um, wow. And it, it, it didn't have 100% olive oil, but we did put olive oil in, and they didn't... Um, it was one of the things, the corners they cut, but I'm delighted they didn't, to hear they didn't cut more because remember, this is now run for Wall Street. This thing's run for EPS. This is not run for the employees or for the team members or for the, the quality of the product. So, um, they're, if they're doing, if they're staying pretty clear with this, um, pretty clean with this, that's a, that's a real good thing to uphold that better ingredients, better pizza promise. But did we, you always have soybean oil in it? We always had soybean in the, uh, or canola oil in the, in the sauce. We always in had some oils. Yeah. Did you use different oils in the sauce? Oh yeah, the the, the, the sauce uses yeah. olive oil. The o- sauce, olive oils, all, uh, oils are tough, um, and they're they're that's one of the things that you get what you pay for. Um, uh, the better the better quality of the oil, the the, the more it costs, more, more money it costs. The the garlic butter, 
Um, you can really cheat on the garlic butter and use a cheaper oil, but I think it really hurts the quality. Yeah, for sure. But, but again, I've been out of the system for five years. I'm not exactly sure. Do you what. make pizza at the house now? Oh, yeah. I got a pizza oven. Oh, <laughs> like a brick oven? Um, I got an oven from the Roman Empire. Oh, Columns really? from the Roman Empire, 300 AD. Yeah. Oh, so you come over. Next time you are in Louisville, come over. I'll make you some Papa yeah, John pizza. Yeah, we should rock. I love making uh, pizza. I do yeah. it from scratch. You can yeah. do it all from scratch now. Do you make the get the tomatoes? And- I usually go up to Papa John's and get some dough balls. Yeah, so good. <laughs> and you get some dough and some sauce. Then go back. It's a, a wood burning, uh, really heavy metal um, kind of outdoor oven. You know, it's not the conveyor oh. oven, but it, it makes a pretty mean pie. Would they do wood burning at Papa John's while you were there? Or did you just use conventional we, ovens? We played with that, but our volumes we needed a you know we needed a conveyor oven just because of the volumes. But I'll give you an ingredient story. We went to Hutchinson, Kansas to look at sausage and beef. And when I went to the factory, because I eat sausage, John's favorites, pepperoni, sausage, six cheese, I was appalled at what they were putting uh, in the sausage. The hoof of the cow, the face of the cow, yeah. it was bad. Whoa. And I said, no, no, no. I went, and we at the time probably had six, 700 stores. They said, well, no, that's just the way we do it. I go, it's not the way I'm going to do it. We're going to have the, the, you know, the tenderloin, the good part of it. I had to wrestle with them for three or four months and we were spending a lot of money to get them to get all the chemicals out and to use, you know, the best, uh, best parts of uh, the cow or the pig, uh, you know, to make, make the, make the, make the product. And that took, that took, you know, some real doing. So, um, the, when we hired kids out of college, these uh, food scientists, we tried to get them to learn how to take chemicals out. And what you were just reading on that list, these kids have been taught how to add stuff. And they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, you know, you we need to get this stuff out of here because you no idea what it's doing to your stomach and to your the evolutionary part of our system that doesn't know how to deal with all these chemicals. And we lost a lot of food scientists because they like putting stuff in. They like putting all those chemicals in and being kind of a witch's brew of chemicals to make up, you know, taste or you know, to extend the product, whatever. And we said, no, we like to keep things real simple. And if I can't read it in two or three, you know, uh, four ingredients per ingredient and I can't pronounce it, then I don't want it in the product. And that, that took some doing. And that was over a hundred million bucks a year when I left. I don't know if they're still doing it or not. What you would spend in it to get the stuff out was over a hundred million million bucks to to, to walk. I thought so. Now, two ways to look at this. One is you want to keep the integrity of the better ingredients, better pizza promise, uh, alive and well and healthy by walking the talk and walking the talk costs a lot of money. The flip of that is processed foods may be addictive. So we may be actually putting something in the product that wasn't as addictive as if you put the stuff in there. So we, we never got around to figuring out were people eating less Papa John's because it didn't have chemicals in it. It wasn't addictive. Uh, but that was a trade off that we, um, we looked Similar at with social media. They have like slot machines where like they make you addicted to these social yeah. media platforms <laughs> and you want to get the likes. And yeah. you know what, you yeah. know what, you know what scares me, man, is that, uh, Dave Thomas, Wendy's, he was very much a better ingredients kind of guy, or at least that's, that's the way I remember I was a little kid. I remember going to Wendy's and they had a salad bar, yeah. but as soon as Dave Thomas passes, it goes wall street, right? They want to, they want to, Make the profits, crank the profits up, crank the margins up, cut costs, cut corners, and then you end up with worse ingredients, worse burgers, right? Well, take KFC. KFC's got had at one time great fried chicken. Average KFC does about a million two in volume. The average Chick Fil A does five million. <laughs> so when you start running the business for Wall Street, you can have some short term success, but in the pizza category in particular, it's so hyper competitive that if you're playing games with product quality. 
you're not really taking care of your uh, your uh, employees, then sooner or later it's going to catch up with you pretty quick. Yeah. I worked at Wendy's in 1980 when we used to patty the beef in the back and do everything wow. by scratch. Please, I'm sorry. Oh, especially with bread. I mean, if you eat a bread with a with a preservative in it, it you know it, it stays yeah. in your mm-hmm. system. If you eat yeah. a pure bread, flour, water, sugar, yeast, mm-hmm. maybe some salt. Well, definitely some salt. It like passes through you almost like water. Like it's your body just. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Ian. You can eat so much more organic uh, bread without. You don't feel bad. Preservatives. No, you, you know exactly. You know, you know. I'll tell you this. Uh, remember that Popeyes chicken sandwich thing? They were trying to claim it was the greatest thing ever. I had there were people on social media being like, "Wow, it's better than Chick Fil A," and I was like, "How is that possible?" I went to Popeyes. I got the sandwich. I did not like it. I thought it was bad. Uh, and it was it was a chicken sandwich, right? I don't want to say it was bad, but Chick Fil A is really really good. And you know, when, whenever whenever we, whenever we go to Chick Fil A, it's the service is great. Yeah. People are working really hard. Everything is 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 clean and set up properly, and it's just like a, it's a it's a well oiled machine. And the food is is always really it's it's always fantastic. Yeah, that's a Kathy family. Um, it was Truett, and uh, he passed away a few years back. And then Stan and uh, Bubba and the and the family they just do a tremendous job. But this this processed food, I mean, there ninety nine point nine percent of the American population uh, has a chemical addiction. It's called processed food, and this processed food is very dangerous. And uh, we're going to have to get our arms around it because it's a big culprit in all the uh, some of the most prevalent and outrageous health issues we're having with our country. I, I, I heard this, it may be apocryphal, but I heard that after Colonel Sanders like franchised out and sold, he went back to, uh, he went to go try the new, you know, KFC and he said it was awful and disgusting or something like that. that, may, that maybe that's not true. I, mean, I read that somewhere on the internet. I had something in the, in the garlic butter at Papa John's and it was, I don't know if it's a different recipe than it used sure. to be, but it was hard, harder to digest than I remember it being. I, I cut sugar out of my diet though. That's good. Yeah. Good. The sugar, the sugar is probably worse than anything. Even the caffeine and the alcohol, the sugar is pretty deadly. But yeah, the colonel was fanatical about his chicken. Yeah. You know, he was funny. He was fanatical and uh, finicky about and quirky about how he wanted that chicken cooked. Have you been like <laughs> um, marinating any new recipes for <laughs> other types of foods? And no, you just work no. at home, just have fun yeah, with it. Just fun. Garden. No, no, I got no. I got an organic garden I play with. Mm. I would I would you know when you came in and you were looking at the pizzas that was that were made by the local Papa John's and you were like oh see there's a problem and you're like pointing the crust I'm like man a pizza made by you must be the mm-hmm. best pizza <laughs> that'd be fun we should have a pizza making contest <laughs> well <laughs> I would love I would love to come to the house we'll yeah, we'll do it. do it with the Roman Empire columns with the wow. pizza oven. nice. But um, the first six months in the broom closet, I was convinced I was the only one that could make a pizza. Right. <laughs> and so I made every single pizza. And that got old. And so, yeah. um, but that was kind of funny. But, no, there's plenty of folks. Um, there's great pizza makers at Papa John's. And there's a lot of them that can make a better pizza than, than I can. But I, I do like making pizza. So you had to learn how to trust other people to make your ingredients. Similar to what Tim's doing with the TimCast brand. He's letting <laughs> other people create shows on the network. Was it like a, what was that like? It's like letting somebody watch your child. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, I can only imagine a mother, um, you know, dropping or, or newborn off, you know, you know, four or five, six months into the grandparents even. I mean, you just, you know, when it's your baby, it's sacred. So it was hard. It was hard not to make every pizza and not worry about every pizza. What'd you do? Have someone make one and then you tasted it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's good enough, close enough. It's I can't tell. Probably wasn't quite that nice. It was probably like you didn't make it right. Let's start over. <laughs> let's do. Let's get this right. It's, so. it, you know, it, with, with growing this business, there's a lot of like uh, ideas I have for the figurative pizza, which is the, the content we're going to be producing. 
And it gets to a point where, you know, I'm going to go to, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to some of the new staff, like, here's my vision. Here's what I think. Then they go off and do it. Then I got to, then I've got to see the product and say, okay, here's my notes on it. And I, I, I definitely think, you know, maybe this is a bit arrogant, but if I was the one always doing everything, it would be, you know, top tier, A++, but it's impossible. It's not possible to be doing every single aspect. You need to have people who, who can take that load off, who can start expanding the business. And you got to do your best to find the talent and the drive and the passion for people who want to do it and do it right. can only imagine growing to 5,000 stores is I – couldn't, I couldn't even imagine that right now. Well, what's the saying? If the captain of the ship has to be the captain of the ship, he's really not a good captain. A good captain has plenty of people around him that can run the ship just as good as he can. You're, the issue you got is you have the producer, the manager, the supervisor, and the leader. Sorry, brother. You're the producer. You, you're the one that makes the food. I mean, you're the one that's got, so you, you, you're stuck there and then you're going to have to be the leader. But the manager and the supervision roles in between. Right. That's something you could fill in. But you're, you're always going to be the guy making the pizza. You're always going to be the guy in front of the mic. You just need to get other folks to do these other peripheral leadership capabilities. Maybe. You know, maybe once the, the, we, we launch enough other shows, you know, I'll be pushed into the back and, uh, Maybe just, you know, look, you, you know, you made your pizzas for some time and then you eventually were just running the company, but you still knew how to make the pizzas. I definitely think there will come a time where, you know, I, I think even with the next five years or so, it's going to be impossible for me for, to, to do four hours per day of podcasting. It'll be impossible. And first of all, my throat's going to explode. But also it's just if, if this is going to be something bigger, better, more important, if we're going to be building culture, then, my, my talents are better served helping other people start filling that role and expanding and, and helping make those changes, inspiring people and having fun and making that content. It'll probably, I'll be, I'll, I'll probably better off doing that. So, you know, one of the things I, I used to work on Saturday and Sundays, I used to actually do podcast recordings. I decided to pull that back and focus on the vlog. And now it's much more relaxing, but it gives me more time. So I, I reduced the amount of content I did per day as well. I used to do three additional segments, which totaled about 50 minutes, cut that out. So I'd have time to go to the bank, to file paperwork, to deal with legal stuff. Otherwise, the company couldn't grow. Yeah. So I'd actually back away from making pizzas, figuratively, and, you know, to do I, the business. You know, if I was you, I would I would do the things that only you can do. You don't have a choice. Then there's the next column up that's the things that you could, um, you could do, but somebody else could also do. Um, and that's your call, whether you do it or not. If, you know, and the third one is there's things... You could maybe do, but you shouldn't be doing. And you really need somebody else to do it. And so I think you pick the parts you love. You, you're not going to be able to. I mean, you got in here this morning at eight thirty, nine o'clock, and we're going to get out of this thing at 11. You can't keep doing that. You know, you'll just burn out. So you got to find the parts of this gig that you love and the time you want to do it. And, um, you know, find the time, find the, the thing you love and just work it to the bone. But, you know, it's got to be the things you want to do. Right, right, right. My opinion. Yeah, so, you know, that I've got two different formats for the shows that we do here. We've got this, which is the conversation, the interviews, and we talk about news and stuff. That's Timcast IRL. And then I've got my two other channels, which are fairly similar, which is me sort of, you know, monologuing, right? That's the segment that you saw when I talked about your issue in 2018, the circumstances around what happened to you. And I really do think that in the next few years, this is going to be what ultimately survives and carries on, something that uh, is longer more in-depth, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of people have told me they like the, the in-depth breakdowns that I do, you know, personally. But uh, I got I to gotta figure out a way to, to empower more people. 
to this idea of freedom, individual responsibility, the free market stuff. To a certain extent, I wouldn't consider myself a laissez-faire capitalist. We've got to figure out how to grow that. And so what I'm trying to say is it'll probably come a time in a few years where those those other channels take a a, a back seat and this becomes the the, the primary flagship or whatever. But that's only going to be because we'll have 100, 200 employees producing movies, documentaries, Mm. other podcasts, and just have this massive network. And I'm I'm going to have to do quality control, basically. So, you know, I could make a mean figurative podcast pizza, or I can teach people how to make, you know, and then oversee and make sure they're all doing it right and we grow that business. Well, uh, you know, <coughs> just just one uh, one meeting with you and, and, you know, two observations. Remember, I did not see this board of directors doing what they did. I did not have that awareness. I think your gift is you have uh, an acute ability to really – uh, be able to cut through things and really get to the heart of what's going on real quick. And you do it in a w- way that's actually very congenial. It's very, you know, it's very nice, which is most guys that are that sharp usually are pretty poignant with their bite. But um, I think you've got a, a, a great way of just cutting through the nonsense and getting right to the meat of the matter. I, that's going to be a tough attribute to replace. That's a gift. That's it really is. a gift from God. It is. But I also think that, you know, I've, I've made mistakes. I've trusted people I shouldn't trust. I've I've dealt with business. It is it is not easy. Man, you know it's, what's fascinating is the things I've already dealt with in trying to run and start business. The board of directors thing you didn't see coming, but I have to imagine that you know throughout your your career you had a ton of beef and problems <laughs> and you know complaints and threats of lawsuits. Well, good judgment comes from bad judgment, and bad <laughs> judgment comes from bad experience. <laughs> yeah. So it's just that comes. It just you know. Again, the, the longer I live, the less I know I know. I mean, it just, if, just when you think you're on top of life and you got it figured out, it's like raising kids. I mean, it just, you'd like, you're just not quite as good at it as you thought you were. You know, just, there's always something coming from somewhere and that's just what makes life so interesting. Let's take some super chats. Talk to the audience. See what they got. They got a lot of questions for you and a lot of positive statements, it seems. Uh, if you haven't already, smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, and go to TimCast.com, become a member. We'll have a bonus segment coming up just after the show usually, usually goes up around 11 or so p.m. All right. Uh, um, Clayton Pahuna says, I ate 40 pizzas in the last 30 days. Is that true? Did you eat 40 pizzas in 30 days? No. I didn't say <laughs> I ate. Who's this, by the way? It's just a, a user, Clayton. He, he, Clayton? Where's, do you I get to ask him where he's from? Or no, no. Right. So they All just right. they, they comment, and we get a list of their their, their chats. Hey, Clayton. A um, little bit um, word trickery there. It doesn't say I ate 40, 50 pizzas in 30 days. It said I had um, 50 pizzas in 30 days. What we do is we have a system that I mentioned earlier, the measurement system, where we have secret shoppers, and we order um, pizzas. And we order enough that we know through a bell-shaped curve with standard deviation who's doing what. So we get enough orders. I think in the last last nine months, I've ordered about 900 Papa John pizzas because I own stock, and I kind of watch what they're doing. So I want to know what they're doing. And I, as you saw earlier, I can look at a pizza and tell you if they're doing it right yeah. or not. So um, we didn't eat 50 pizzas in 30 days, but we did have 200 pizzas in two months. Wow. Wow. But you sampled? Um sampled it looked at oh okay maybe took a bite out of ever and the media spins it to make it seem like you're sitting there just <laughs> guzzling <laughs> pieces <laughs> like <"Shh." laughs> we got a lot of uh, publicity off of it it just wasn't true oh, well. <laughs> rainer chen says ten dollars in honor of papa john maybe use it to buy pizza hut for later papa john i'm a big fan love the whopper by the way <laughs> Whoa, what <laughs> mix it all in there wow now here's the important hey. question kyle miller says john do you still have your z28 camaro 
I do. Um, I um, I bought that car when I was 15, washing dishes at Rocky Sub Pub for 1600 bucks. Uh, I sold it October of 83 for $2,800 to get Daddy out of bankruptcy. And then I bought it back in 2009 for 275000 yes. So <laughs> I'm not a very good hog swapper here, so don't go in business with me. I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll not, not make you any money. But, yeah, we um, I have that in a vault. In the basement of my house. Wow. Awesome. The original car. That, nice. that is an awesome story. Yeah, yeah. You, had, you, so, you had to sell it to help out your family. Is that what happened? Yeah. Old man was bank, bankrupt in Mix Lounge, and we sold it for $2,800 to get a load of beer to get us through the weekend. It's funny that in 83, 2800 was more valuable than 150000 or whatever it was in 2008. Like, it's so relative money, the amount of money you have and use. Um, well, they, um, they had a sucker on the line that wanted the car. Me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Does it still drive? Oh, yeah. It's fast. It's 150, 160 mile. It's an oh, 8.2, wow. 8.3 quarter mile car. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad car. Oh, it's, awesome. it's a, and when you come over to make pizzas at the house, uh, I'll take you for riding the car oh, and nice. show you. I'll show uh-huh. you my 26-car uh, museum that really only has three cars. Oh, yeah. I don't have a 26. They always say I have a 26-car museum in my basement. It's three cars. So. <laughs> Are you getting more? All right. No, it's all the hold. <laughs> all right, release the crackle says, "Heart your pizza." The name's Ben. Was my birthday the other day? Would you make my would make my year to have a quote have a Papa blessed day from you, Papa John for president twenty twenty four? And this is who? This is release the craggle. That's the, that's their release name. the craggle. Oh, his name's Ben. Ben. Yeah, his name's Ben, and he would love for you to say have a Papa blessed day. Ben, we love you, Papa John's. Have a Papa blessed day. <laughs> Happy birthday. Nice. All right, let's see. Mm-hmm. Curious Mishap says, Yo, Papa John, my second job ever was at a Papa John's in 2014. Legit my favorite pizza. I'm actually a fan. Thank you for being the best. You're my inspiration. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And you're my inspiration. You're the ones that make Papa John's great every day. So thank you. All right. Let's see. Dark Soul says, Hey, Papa, my boss just got fired for private text messages. The company is crazy now. Been there for two years and it's just trash. Well, hang in there with them. Um, I'm not happy with them right now. And I just, you know, we had two fundamental principles uh, when we started out, and that is take care of our people, be good to our employees, our team members. They're the, what makes Papa John's great, and take care of our product. And the um, uh, last uh, couple of years, I feel like we lost our way with those two attributes. But I'm pounding on the board of directors pretty hard. They know how I feel about this. And, um, you know, like I say, it's my name on the, the door. It's my yeah. recipe. And I founded it, and hopefully sooner or later they'll they'll listen to me. Right now, with COVID and all these excess dollars, excess dollars, they they can't do anything wrong. The phone rings off the hook, regardless of how good the pizza is. And yeah. so, but sooner or later, you know, you know, our luck's going to run out, and we're going to have to get back to serving good pizza with good service. So, I'm pushing pretty hard, but I'm sorry to hear that. And um, it was her, was it her dad that got fired? His boss. Her boss. Yeah. P, uh, a CA foe says, PJ employee here. Nice to see the papa on your show, Tim. I can confirm the recipes have been changed since he left to cut some costs. No. Again, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. I mean, yeah. if you want, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. I mean, I've not figured out how to get quality or authenticity or superiority without paying for it. I just haven't figured out, you know, how you get something really good at the end if you don't start off with really something good in the beginning so i'm sorry to hear that that was my as you can imagine no. being a founder and having your name on the door um on every box um when i hear those kind of stories i get it's it's upsetting it's like yeah. you're in you know, the quality control that you were talking about right. earlier 
You know the saying, garbage in, garbage out? You always got to make sure you got better ingredients if you want to make a better pizza. Better ingredients, better pizza. <laughs> you got it, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I just want to say before I read this next one, welcome to the internet. Um, MK, MK90 <laughs> says, the vanished one returns once again in an attempt to out pizza the hut. All hail the father lord, <laughs> Jonathan. He shall sit upon the sun throne. Praise the sun. Uh, a lot of people are, I, I think, you know, a lot of people probably became fans when they realized that they were they were steamrolling you and they were coming after you and it was unjust. So a lot of people were probably just, you know, they looked into your story. They learned about your, your how you how you treat your employees. They learned about your story with your car. And they're like, here's a guy who works hard, was successful. And boy, did they, they screw you over. I'd say boycott these no good you-know-whats. But the problem is I love the franchisees. I mean, yeah. if it was just these corporate, <clears throat> you know, Bank robbers, you know, these folks that are just out for the money, I'd, I'd say let's boycott Papa John's until they get back to taking care of their employees and take care of the product. But I can't do that because I love the franchisees, and they're the small business owners that they're interface. So if I could if I could say boycott all the corporate markets, um, you know, um, then, you know, then we, that may be a, a go. But right now we can't say boycott Papa John's uh, even though the products slipped. And the concern and the the love for the employees is slipped because it will hurt the franchisees, and I would never do anything to hurt the franchisees. Is there a situation where if the corporate wanted to change the ingredients to something terrible that the franchisees could override that and say, we're going to use this at this restaurant? Um, no. They could be um, pretty verbose about it and uh, boisterous. But you got to understand, the franchisees are probably going to want to go along with the cheaper ingredients because they'll make more money short term. So <clears throat> franchisees are probably a little bit more looking at the the finances and the economics, whereas the founder looks at it at, from the spirit and the soul of the brand, from the authenticity and the quality and the passion for doing it first class. So that's why I like I like a business like Papa John's. We, 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 were, we were public and we were big. We had scale. You know, it's like, that's a good thing. But we ran it like a family-owned business with regard to people and product. Um, and I think I like the balance of those two. You have to have professional management. You want to run things tight, but you also want to have that human touch in there. This is interesting. Manifest, Manifested Destiny says, I will always believe John got railroaded because he outed the criminal mob running the University of Louisville. He messed mm-hmm. with the corrupt Louisville establishment that still hasn't faced any charges. Is that, is that true? What happened with that? Amen, sister. She she nailed that. Yeah, we we got rid of uh, we cleaned. There was there was a three legged stool, which is really a four, but three. The, the three legged stool on the University of Louisville, and it was corrupt. Uh, was the board of trustees? Uh, we had to get rid of that. Was the athletic um, department? We had to get rid of all those folks. They were paying athletes <laughs> big money to come to Louisville. And then the foundation, which they embezzled money out of. So we finished finished all three of those. The, what she's referring to is the next was the faculty. Uh, the faculty has tenure, and you can't fire them. Right. And no matter what they do, you can't fire them. And we were going to put a stop to that and make sure that we're, we're here for the kids, and we're here to better their education. We're not here so that you can make $200,000 a year and go to Italy, you know, every other year. So um, they, we ruffled a lot of feathers trying to clean that university up. Myself, David Grissom, and we had a great board of trustees. We worked hard on that for about two and a half years. But remember, we're hitting them from the top with a three-legged stool, getting ready to be the fourth. And then we had this entrepreneur classes inside that university. <clears throat> so we're stepping on a lot of toes with free markets, entrepreneurship, voluntary exchange, and at the same time cleaning the house over here <clears throat> from an administrative level. Wow. <clears throat> 
Jonathan Warner says, sir, when I was in training nearly a decade ago, you presented me and my brothers with pizza and a hell of a drag race with your beautiful Camaro. You honored my brothers that day. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. Appreciate you being out the races. Uh, the one thing I did love is um, uh, running that Z28 with uh, Don Schumacher, um, Lear Pritchard, and um, that whole team. And um, the, one of the things they did when I when they ousted me is they took my my car away from me and wouldn't let me race anymore. So I miss those days at the racetrack with with NHRA. That was fun to be with the fans. They're the greatest fans in the world, and I got to race that car. And then, uh, to your point, we got to give money away um, just about every other weekend for the um, for some kind of charity, sometimes, uh-huh. sometimes military, yeah. All right. This one is fantastic. Matter B Gaming <laughs> says, sell Ian is a pirate T-shirt for $40. Then give us the option to download a copy for free yes. so we can see how much money is lost to piracy. Love it. That's actually a good idea. <laughs> we've been we've been arguing about whether pirate, uh, d- downloading content uh, that's oh, being sold is And I, I mentioned you guys beforehand that if someone – idea for a future currency with our new crypto thing would be if someone took my digital art and sold it, it w- the crypto would pay them and me. It would go to the creator's wallet. And then the creator, I could say, like, they get 1% of the sale for selling my stuff. This is kind of off topic. I'd rather talk about pizza. All right. Uh, Penny for your podcast <laughs> says, Papa John, I got to know, what's Peyton Manning like in real life? Peyton's funny. He's cool. What you see is what you get. Um, great. He, um, we did a lot of commercials in a short period of time, but um, got very close to he and uh, his wife, Ashley. Um, had two, um, uh, two ch- children, twins. Um Marshall Mosley um, was friends with Archie and Olivia, so I got pretty close to the family. Uh, Eli, he's just a class act. Uh, another brother, Cooper. So just a neat family, good values, and uh, great endorser, endorser of our product. When this all went down, he, he called me said, you know, what's up? I go, I had no idea what's going on here. And I said, you need to do one thing, Peyton. Until I get to the bottom of what they did, you just need to stay clear of me. And, you know, the phone kind of got quiet. I said, you know, I don't know how they did this. I don't know what they did. There's just no history of this. Yeah. And uh, I said, but I just don't want to tarnish your reputation. And I think he really appreciated that. And um, that was the last time we talked. Wow. I love that guy. Yeah. Wow. Wandering Mage says, my father used to work for Papa John's a long time ago, and he always vouched for how well the pizza was made. But we've noticed a drop in quality recently. Can't have Papa John's without Papa John, I guess. Stay strong, Papa John. Thank you. God bless. I appreciate that. And, um one thing, um, it's kind of like when you get a little bit out of shape, you know, you kind of like it's pain to get back in shape. Um, to make the pizza really well and to run the stores really, really well, it's just hard. It's every day. And they've gotten a little bit out of shape. And they know if I come back in, first thing we're going to do is have to clean our act up. And I think that's a little bit of a deterrent for the franchisees to want me to come back. Because we are gonna, if we, if we do get back, if the, if they crash the thing, which we've crashed it three times before with bad product and bad service and no measurements and no principle. We've done this before. We've seen this movie. I've never seen it with COVID and it's a whole different environment. Um, but the first thing you do is you have to go back to the basics and the basic is food quality and uh, great people. And that's going to take a lot of work. It'll take 5,000 stores in the kind of shape it's in. It'll take a year and a half to get them back in shape. Did you ever experiment with drone delivery service? <laughs> no, and I what? like it. I like the drone. I mean, I hope we can pull that off because – They're doing it, the cars now. I think Domino's announced they got that car that drives the pizza to your house. I, I like that concept <laughs> uh, because you can put a central kitchen in the middle of a city 
and not have to build all these restaurants. You just build <laughs> one giant kitchen and just li- deliver the pizza with Automatic drones. kitchens, too. Yeah. The pizza is all automated. And the everything. drone comes in through the ceiling, they, gets the pizza, and then takes <laughs> off. I, I, I got a question. Like it, an Amazon warehouse. It's, it's, there's, there's a certain amount of stores that are corporate and a certain amount of stores that are franchise. Is that how it works? Yeah. When I left, um, approximately 5,000 stores, 600 uh, U.S. corporate, um, about 2,000 uh, international franchise, and then about 2,400 uh, North America franchisees. Wow. So, yeah, 600 corporate stores is what what we had when I left in uh, 17. So are you allowed to open your own franchise? Have your own? Me gym? now? Yeah. I don't think they would go for that. <laughs> We're not, they're not very happy with me right now, and I'm not very happy with them. I'd imagine mm-hmm. if you did, like, people would be like, I'm, gonna, I'm going there. They would want to drive in and have, like, the real Papa John's, you know? That's a distinct possibility. And I I don't have a non compete, so I can go. I can do whatever I want to do. And there's no patent. That would be on amazing. The, <laughs> no. the recipes don't have. Do they have patents? The recipes? How's that work? I mean, I know the recipe because they're my recipes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's I have the patent. It's in my brain. I don't. The intellectual property rights are in my brain. I don't know if you can trademark that. You could just use a little bit extra sugar, and then it like throws the entire recipe off. Right? It changes everything. Yeah, but it's a little bit more complicated than that in a good way. You can know the recipe, but you still don't walk the talk because to do the recipe right costs more money. So the reason that they don't do the original recipe to your call before last is that they're trying to save money. You know, you got bean counters running your business. See, they think they think the consumer is stupid. They think, well, we'll cut this, cut that, change that, not measure it. You know, make a less quality pizza. But you just heard it now. We've had four calls where people said the pizza's slipping. That's know? right. I remember in 95, we, the pizza just was better. I didn't know anything about the ingredients. I didn't even care about health when I was 14 but or 16 or whatever. But it, it was just better. It was like four bucks more, but better. It would be like 12 bucks instead of 10 or something. But we were so good that my entire family, it was just that was the one. It when I, when I saw sucralose, sucralose it's called, in, in Pizza Hut's dough, I'm, I, I, I said I, I will never buy that again. No joke. I go to we, we're, we're driving. We're going to the skate park. I go to a gas station. I see this drink in the thing, and I'm like, "Oh, that looks good." And it says like antioxidant fruit with seltzer. And I grab it, and then I buy it, and then I crack it open, take a sip, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's really sweet." And there it is, boom, sucralose. And I'm like, "Garbage." Well, here's the deal. The um, you know the uh, FDA comes in from one of these food processors that we talked about and says, "Hey, that product is inadequate and it's not up standard. We're not going to pass it." That processor goes to their lobbyist which are probably paying a half million bucks a year. That lobbyist goes to that senator, that congressman, says, hey, you know, the FDA agency's jamming me up here. I need to get this product through. The senator, whatever, calls the agency and says, hey, if you don't pass the product, we're going we're gonna to terminate you or get rid of your agency. So the agency is at the beck and call of the lobbyist, i.e., you get all these chemicals and food, our food supply is poisonous. Yeah, potassium bromate particularly is scandal. That's scandal. It's terrible. D3FEC wants me to in, uh, inform and remind you, John, that the phrase anti-racist means you support racial discrimination against people. So uh, anti-racism has become a specific ideology. That phrase is a proper noun, not just a general statement now. So uh, I guess you'd say you oppose racism. Your statement was meant to be in opposition to racism. The, 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 the author, Ibram Kendi, What's his real name? Henry Rogers, I guess. Yeah, yeah. His, he's he's yeah. a prominent critical race theorist, or at least a, a, a derivative of. He writes. He has the book How to Be an Anti-Racist, and he specifically tells people you must discriminate on the basis of race. That's his ideology, and I think it's abhorrent. But he's taken that phrase anti-racism so that in these circumstances, when you when a regular person says, "Oh, I I oppose racism. I'm anti-racist." They can that when that, when people say, "What's anti-racist?" They then show his book, which tells people to be racist. 
It's very confusing, I know, you know. But I guess the issue is if you say you're anti-racist, someone will take that clip and then try and spin it. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, you, you've got to look at what's the intent. Um, I always look at where somebody's heart's at. If somebody comes in and says, you know, by the way, Tim, <laughs> you look you look sharp today, you know. Or, hey, man, I like, you know, you're looking, you know. I mean, one's a compliment. One is, you know, put down. But you said the same right, thing. Exactly. So it's always, a, I just look at the intent. I look at the heart. You know, that's right. But the media and the board of directors and the university, they certainly didn't. Mm-hmm. You give them the opportunity, you know. But you know what, to be honest, I don't think it mattered um, necessarily. They would have found something to twist. If they were coming after you, they were coming they, after you. They were, gonna, they were coming after me. And it's it's quite flattering they couldn't find enough other stuff, you know, to get rid of me. So they had to fabricate something. They, there There's, wasn't enough meat on the bone to say we had a violation of Sorbanes-Oxley or we have a bad culture or sales are bad or we're not making enough money. So what they do, they go out and fabricate a, a false narrative with racism. There's a There's a less common saying, if somebody wants to steal your bike, no amount of bike locks will stop them. Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, this is something you that you know, hacker friends of mine have pointed out. And this, I think that's the common among many of my friends. If somebody if you want to get a security system, it will stop the people who are passing by who look in your window and your door's locked and they'll keep walking. But if you are the target, and they're out to get you. They'll find a way. So yeah. it sounds like in your case, they were just like, we'll take whatever we can get and we'll yeah. make it the thing. Yeah, I, I think I think I was a marked man. Yeah. Crandall Logan says, John, you need a restaurant in, please write this down, Smithfield, Utah. Domino's just doesn't do it at all. Someone's got to open a franchise. Smithfield, Utah. Smithfield, Utah. Papa John's, I'm sure you're listening to this. Get on the horn. <laughs> get, off yeah, your much, cor- get off your corporate high end and sell this a franchise in Smithfield. Yes. How much you want to I, – I, I think it's a very safe bet that – you know, some PR firm working with Papa John's corporate is watching this show. Oh, they've got more shirts watching this than Quaker's got. All, are you kidding? <laughs> we me? have like a ton of viewers. I'm like, oh, a lot of viewers tonight. I wonder. Yeah. It's all PR when company. They have, when they actually have these board meetings down in Atlanta, you know, because everybody talks. I mean, they'll, they'll spend 20, 30 percent of the board meeting talking about my issues with me. I mean, it's kind of funny. Did you own a huge percentage of the company before they fired you off the board? I owned um, 30 percent of the company. 31 to be exact. Coop is saying that I'm incorrect. It was 1 million illegal crossings for the month of June alone. Please stop saying year. I thought I th- it was the first six months. Yeah, I thought it was 188K yeah. in June alone. Do you want to Google yeah, that just to be sure? That, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 188,000 in just this past month, and it was a million for the first, yeah, six months. We will get that fact check. We will see. Let's see. All right, let's see. Uh, Holly Salcedo says, Papa John's was my first job when I was a teen. Best restaurant I've ever worked for back in 2013. Bless the Papa. Rip Joey Jordison. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate I, that. That touches my heart. I, I I have heard a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. A couple of people say that, you know, they worked for Papa John's and now we have this. And they said it was great. It was, the the yeah. employees were treated really well. We had scholarships for the employees. Like I say, we were the best place to work in Kentucky. Um, it was it was magical. It was really a blessing from God to watch that thing operate. And to give all these raises and all these promotions, I mean, just, you know, just watch the smile, on, you know, People go home and parents say, you know, I got a raise and they tell their kids, I mean, you know, they get new cars, they get new homes. I mean, that's probably the most gratifying thing of the whole gig is when watch people get promotions and get raises. Did your brother, brother, oh, did your brother stick with, what was the last thing you said? My brother got out in 2002. He clocked out with like 40 million. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So he's the smart one in the family. He gets no 
publicity. <laughs> no attention. <laughs> he's got it. homes in Aspen, homes in, you know, oh, and he's nice. enjoying his life. <laughs> I'm up here on a Tuesday night doing a podcast yes. with you guys. Yeah. So, so, so we know who's got the brains in the family. You guys, uh, the, the Papa John's stores, they teach the employees how to make their pizza right, right? Like th- that 10-point that system you were telling me about, like the, the people who make the pizza know this? Yes. So we got the super chat from Randomonious. He says, I haven't worked at PJP for seven years now, and even I can tell you what is wrong with the pizza I mm-hmm. order. That's amazing. Yeah, that's here, – here, when you – to really do a good job, um, you have to have be, pr- be proud of what you're doing. And when you're making good pizza and you know it's good, you have an emotional attachment to your job. So now all of a sudden we're – and I've heard this from franchisees. They, the corporate really doesn't care what we're serving. Just get yeah. it out the door. That lack of pride, then that seeps down the place is not clean. The service is not as good. And you don't take your job with the, the kind of um, fondness or affection that you would if you really made a good pizza. So, yeah, once you know how to make a good Papa John pizza, it's with you for the rest of your life. Would they use bread machines to get the dough ready, or do they do it by hand? We never use machines. They, they're putting dough machines in. Um, they, it does save labor. Um, it does make that, that uh, position a lot easier. I don't know enough about dough machines to say it's a lot better or a lot worse. I know it's not better. Um, but I can't really slam on dough machines because I don't have a lot of experience. But I can tell you that it, it's put in there for cost savings. And usually when you save cost and it's not 100% hand tossed, then you're you're probably sacrificing yeah, quality. The, heat, the human heat seems like you want to put your love and your spirit into it. I mean, it's the heat your body heat <laughs> is like. It seems like. I mean, I'm into Reiki. But. Yeah. Have, have you seen the movie yeah. The Founder? Yes. They should make the founder, too, Papa John. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll let you produce it. We'll do it <laughs> right here in your studio. Me. But the I agree with Ian. We just, we just need more love. More love. Yeah, it's yeah. a living well, organism. <laughs> the interesting thing about the movie The Founder, the reason I bring it up somewhat jokingly, is that you had these, these two brothers who were very serious about the quality of their food. And this guy comes in. He's like, nah, fast, out the door, powdered milkshakes, whatever, buy the land. And it was very corporate, not quality. you know. And so it's not the same story. But it's a similar story. Yeah. A similar story we hear a lot. You're talking about Pasadena, um, San Bernardino, the uh, McDonald brothers. Yeah. Um, Mac and Bill, what was it? But anyway, anyway um, and uh, Croc came in yep. from Illinois, and uh, he was selling those multi-mixers. And they yep. wanted 26 of them, and they bought 26, and he couldn't figure out why they needed 26 mixers until he went and visited, and he fell in love with McDonald's. <laughs> and he was, Croc was fanatical about what he called QSC&B, quality, service, cleanliness, and value. And uh, at five, 500 stores, McDonald's actually lost money, and they had a financial guy, Harry Stewborn. He came up with a concept, well, let's buy the land and rent it to them at 10% of sales. Wow. So uh, Harry Stewborn in the, I think, late 60s, early 70s actually came up with a real estate play for McDonald's. McDonald's wasn't built till like 1961, 63. Yeah. Remember, White Castle was 1921. Wow. Crystal was way back there. Burger Chef was way, I mean, a lot of these concepts White were Castle. 1940, 1950. McDonald's was late to the party. I even think behind Burger Chef and Burger King, wow. and yet Croc pulled it off with a real yep. estate play. That's how yep. that worked, yeah. Diego Williams says, Papa John, best of luck taking back what's yours. My girl and I love your Philly pizza. Also, shout out for my girl's art business and make it her full-time go-to, graylagart.com. She does things by commission from animals to D&D characters and personas. Is that graylagart.com? Perhaps yep, I pronounced it wrong. that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. 
Zip Tie says the beauty of being self-employed is that you only work half days and you get to choose, but you get to choose which 12 hours. Howard Taylor. That's a good one. Huh. Yeah. The one thing, <laughs> one problem I had when I was at Papa John's, it seemed like every time I stepped away, the thing kind of crashed and burned. So I was basically a prisoner of my own creation. Mm. Today, Rob Lentz, the CEO of Papa John's and the board of directors, they're basically prisoners of my creation. They're the ones that, you know, I mean, I give dividends, you know, stocks at an all time high and I don't have to do anything. So I like the fact that Shaquille O'Neal's an employee, you know, we pay him to do the ads and we pay Rob Lynch as an employee and he basically works for the shareholders. And I, I like being an owner and letting them be the employees and letting them be in a prisoner of my creation. So I don't have to worry about it. So, uh, I do like the, the half 12 hour days. I like that concept. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Beelit says just became a member at Timcast and bought 16 acres to homestead and YouTube channel called Little Tales Farm. Thanks for encouraging us to live off grid. Absolutely, man. I, I, I've, you know, I lived in cities for my whole life. We, uh, I lived briefly in uh, outside of Miami where I had some chickens and we had a little bit of land, but we didn't really do much other than having some chickens. And then uh, now we moved out here from – I was in New York five years ago for a little while, and then we were in Philly for a little bit. Now we're out here. Now we got our own chickens. We got our own garden. We're growing our own vegetables. We got – Six six ends and a rooster. The rooster was an accident. We didn't realize we got a rooster. <laughs> now we now, now now they're up to laying four eggs per day. We got an incubator, and this is going to be real tough. But we got a bunch of the eggs in the incubator, and it looks like there may be like four or five that are are growing. And then we're going to have a bunch of baby chicks, and then we're going to open up Chicken City, and there's going to be families, and there's it's going to be fantastic, man. So uh, shout out, be lit. Good 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 job. Clef the Misfit says, I swear to God, if you don't make a vlog episode at Papa John's house making pizzas <laughs> and riding in the Camaro, then the whole channel is pointless. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Requires travel, but, uh, travel. well, that's what we, that's why we have an airplane. Yeah. I, 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 I gotta say, I have to imagine if you, you personally made the pizza, it would be like the best pizza ever. We're going, the plane holds 11. <laughs> so you, you, you get seven <laughs> seats. We'll send our PR folks up here with you and you can come up to bring, bring a couple cameras, bring a little audio. And uh, come up to Louisville. And we'll make pizzas in the backyard and drive a Camaro. Wow! Uh, I'll show nice. you. I'll show you Derby City on uh, Papa style. How long does it take oh, nice. to fly uh, from there to here? Fifty minutes. Fifty minutes. Fifty. Fifty. <laughs> Fifty. Fifty. So not even an hour. No. Wow. We, uh, how's uh, the weekend? Weekend after next? For real? <laughs> I'm, let, I'm serious. You we'll, let me know. I mean, you, what, what do you think about making sauces too complex? Like, <laughs> simplicity of ingredients. If you go back to Pluto, I think, you know, B.C., um, what, you know, he has the saying, what was great architecture, what was great engineering, what was great poetry, uh, simplicity. And if you really watch somebody that's really gifted, take Tim and watch what he does. He makes it look, you know, or you take a sculpture, you take watch Tiger Woods hit a golf ball. They make it look so easy and common. And what we have found that the key to complexity, um, you know, the universal complexities actually are achieved through the porthole of simplicity. So I like anything that's simple. Simple works real good. And the ultimate sophistication for anybody is to be able to take something really, really complex and make it simple. People, the, the corporate folks, especially if you get technology people, they take things that are real simple and they make it complicated. <laughs> and then you're lost, you're confused. So that's that that's the opposite of what Pluto would do or what I would recommend. So uh sauce, less is better. Less. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna do uh, a couple more, a couple more super chats. Uh and then we we're the last question we have for you was one of the most important questions 
that that you could ever possibly answer. But first, Alex uh, Magior says quality has gone down the toilet in the last two years. It was my family's favorite, and now we don't go there anymore. I hope you can save the name from Columbus, Ohio. I'm sure it kind of sucks to hear a lot of people saying you know things like this, but you know a lot of people uh, have that have those comments. But now for the most important uh, uh, super chat, the most important question, so that you can settle the age-old debate. Vantasy says, Tim, can you please ask the papa if pineapple belongs on pizza? Hawaiian pizzas, ham and pineapple. <laughs> I've never been a fan. You know, it's not one of our big sellers, but people do eat pineapple on pizza. I, I, whether you agree or disagree, now Hawaii, they love pineapple and ham pizzas. That's why they call, we, I think we call it the Hawaiian, but no, um, it's, uh, pineapples, um, it's, it's more than anchovies, you know. I like anchovies. And, yeah. It's, like it's, anchovies? it's, the, it's, it's, yeah, what do we think about anchovies? Oh, I love anchovies. <laughs> no, no. You don't like oh, them or no. you do like them? No. I, I don't even like putting them on the pizza. But. Oh, wow. I like anchovies. It saltifies the cheese. Yeah, yeah it's very salty. <laughs> but the pineapple thing's always been weird to me because, like, why not kiwi? It's like, why not cherries? Why not? Why let's not go. Apple? Let's, let's, let's make it happen. If you gotta treat it right, because if it's too tart, it's gonna, it's gonna impact the, the acidity of the cheese, you know, so you wanna, you wanna, like, mute the tartness of the fruit. That's why pineapples bake pretty well. <laughs> All right. Ladies oh, and gentlemen, this has been a blast. Uh, uh, so thank you all so much for hanging out watching. Smash that like button. Go to TimCast.com. Become a member. We'll have a bonus segment coming up. Uh, it usually goes up around 11 or so p.m. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL. You can follow me personally at TimCast. Is there anything you want to mention before we before we go? Well, just thank you for having me in, Tim. That was delightful. Thanks for Pleasure coming. Pleasure Lenny. Appreciate you. And I just have one request. When when I die, just make sure I don't vote Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Follow me at Ian Cross on this fantastic. Thanks, man. This is yeah. great job. Love I, it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation tonight. I was just enjoying listening. And I did want to say I did get that fact check for that person who was saying that a million people came in in June. This is not correct. According to the Texas Tribune, up to June, it has been 1 million people, 180,000 people in the month of June. You guys are more right. than welcome to follow me at Sour Patch. Let's on Twitter as I attempt to gain more followers than Sour Patch Kids. Thank you all so much for hanging out. We'll see you over at TimCast.com. Bye, guys.